The rules are pretty straightforward. At least that's what I thought when I signed up for it back in March. In fact, when it does come to rules, the game only has two. Follow all the rules, complete all the challenges. To be honest, it sounded like it would be impossible to lose. Josh, my best friend, said that was exactly what the game wanted you to think. It's not about getting from point A to point B, Daniel. Well, no, I take that back. It really is about getting from point A to point B, but nobody ever does, he had told me. It was Josh that first introduced me to the game last year when he said that he got 12 people to sign up for it online so that they could split the prize money. I thought I had everything worked out, man. I didn't even know what I was getting into, Josh told me. So what are the challenges like, you ask? That I couldn't tell you, because they change every single time the game is played. So do the rules, apparently, for that matter. And you don't get to know what those are until the game actually starts. It sounded pretty interesting back then, so I told Josh to sign me up. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not doing that. You got a wife, you got a kid. This game is not for you, he told me. It's just a silly internet challenge, Josh. Nothing more, I reminded him. I was getting frustrated with his attitude. Just because I had a family, he now thought that meant he could throw in my face all the fun and crazy shit that he could do and I couldn't. So I went online and signed up for myself. To be honest, after that, I actually forgot about it. Real life got in the way. Whether it was losing my job or being evicted, my wife Marcy and I really did have more important things than some silly online game. In fact, I even fell out of touch with Josh a while back after the move. I just didn't have time anymore. A few weeks ago, I actually found out that he died. Or at least, that's what the Facebook thread I followed said, because no one had seen or heard from him in about six weeks. That's why I was so surprised to get a package on my doorstep from him just about 19 minutes ago. In fact, I think it's safe to say that everything I ever knew about Josh or about this game changed just 13 minutes ago. I actually almost tripped over the package coming into our two-bedroom apartment after a long shift at my new job, otherwise I probably wouldn't have noticed it at all. There was a Roman numeral symbol on the side of the wrapping, denoting the number one, and a more obscure symbol next to it that I didn't recognize, but I knew from the handwriting who had sent it. Josh. Curious and still a bit wound up from work, I sat down on the sofa and opened it. There were three items inside. An unmarked cell phone that I guessed had to be some sort of burner, a VHS tape with the same room and numeral, and a firearm. The chamber was fully loaded. I think it was the gun that made me feel the most nervous, but it was also an item that compelled me to scour my storage unit for my VCR. It took about seven minutes to find the thing and another six to hook it up. The video came to life with grainy image of my former best friend. He was staring straight at me, almost as though we were talking face to face. Hello, Daniel. I, I wish you hadn't done this. I really do, but now here we are and we can't go back, can we? He said with a heavy sigh. Something about the way he was talking was making me very uncomfortable. You're part of it now. So, I've been tasked with giving you your very first challenge. This one is easy, but believe me when I say that they don't get any easier from here on out. Josh remarked. Then the words that made my heart plummet appeared. Don't call the police. You've got an hour, and then we can move on to challenge number two. He said, and the video cut to black. 
I stood up and paced the living room, trying to figure out exactly what the message meant. Then I moved to my bedroom to wake my wife and get some kind of idea about what to do, but she wasn't there. The covers were all neatly arranged like she'd gotten up in the middle of the night to go check on Michael. I raced to his room next, calling out to him, I pushed open his door. The scene there was enough to give me a heart attack. Clothes strewn about with signs of struggle, blood smeared across the walls, I knew it had to be Michael's. How could this happen? I had just talked with Marcy only two hours ago. I ran back to the den and pulled out my phone, then I paused and looked towards the static covered television screen. What would happen if I disobeyed the rules? Would my family be tortured or worse? It made me sick to even consider. I put the phone down and sat down on the couch, trying to decide what to do. Each minute I've wasted since then, I've been trying to figure out the same thing. So I decided to participate in this sick and twisted game, whether I like it or not. But I'm going to document each and everything they make me do. Maybe it won't help anyone. But if even one person hears about the 24-hour game, there's one more rule I think they should have included. Don't play. Listen, you motherfucker, if you hurt one hair on my family. But that was as far as I got. A loud screech made me pull the phone away from my ear, followed by a series of numbers called out by an automatic machine voice. It was all I could do to think clearly and jot the numbers down on a piece of paper as they were repeated one last time. I tried to get the phone to work, to call the number back, but got nothing. Instead, a text message from a private number popped up with the second Roman numeral and a single word. Go. I looked at the numbers that had been given to me and realized immediately what they had to be. Coordinates. Moving everything over to the kitchen counter, I tried to pull up the exact longitude and latitude on Google Earth, but found that they only led to some kind of chemical dump site a little over 10 miles outside of the city limits. And there was nothing else out there, and as far as I knew, they didn't even let civilians go close to that place because of the radioactivity in the area. I double-checked to make sure the coordinates were correct, then grabbed a coat and ran out towards my car. If I sped, I knew I could get there before the hour was up. The challenge, however, became extraordinarily harder when I tried to crank up my Chevy and found that the engine wouldn't start. Son of a bitch! I muttered as I got out and popped the hood and went to see what the problem was. I used the flashlight on the burner phone to get a better look in the engine and saw immediately what had happened. Someone had come out and cut the wires to my car battery. I immediately looked around the desolate street, trying to determine if someone was watching me. Maybe it had been the same person that dropped off the package. I didn't have time to think about that though, since the clock was ticking. Instead, I just pulled up a video on YouTube on how to hotwire a car. It seemed the smartest thing to do at the time. Then, as I was hunched over, trying to get the car to start, I heard the soft sound of police sirens nearby and looked up to see two patrol cars are pulling up to my address two well-dressed police officers stepped out into the dim light offered by my garage and the taller one remarked. Excuse me, sir. Do you live here? Yeah, that's right. Daniel Stratton. I was just out trying to fix up my, uh, oh, my car has, uh, has a bit of a wiring problem, I said. We've had a few calls coming out of this area that there is a domestic disturbance. The second officer added, then glanced towards my door. 
Is your wife home? I felt my heart start to beat faster and thought about the blood smeared against my son's wall. No, um, her and my boy are spending a few nights at my sister's house. Uh, it's her birthday this weekend. I lied, trying to think quickly on my feet. I had only 38 minutes left to make it 13 miles, and if I could make these cops leave, I knew I could get there in half the time. Mind if we step inside and look around your property? Officer One asked. I swallowed hard, my brain firing all six cylinders to think of another convincing lie. Uh, it's not my place. I, well, I, I mean, not really. Uh, I just, just rent it. I told them and added, management is a bit of a stickler when it comes to the rules, so I don't think they would want you poking around without a warrant. The second officer spoke into the radio that was strapped to his shoulder to get some kind of confirmation from the station while I stood there, nervously trying not to sweat. Are you planning to go somewhere this evening, Mr. Stratton? Officer A asked. I'm just doing a little fiddling. It's a hobby of mine. It calms my nerves after a long day of work. The second man returned and conferred with the first before finally telling me. Alright. Sorry about all this, but it seems that there was another report made just ten minutes ago, and it was by your wife. You'll need to let us in, sir. I told you my wife isn't here, I said, panic gripping me as I tried to understand what was going on. Sir, if you are refusing to cooperate, I can hold you for 48 hours just for obstructing a police investigation, Officer B growled. I sighed, reached into my pocket, pretending to pull out my key. Then I did the stupidest thing in my entire life and sucker punched the cop, pushing him straight back against the window of my car. In that split second, the first officer reached for his taser and was about to load it when we both heard the revving of an engine. We both turned our heads toward the street and I saw a yellow Mazda screeching down the road. Officer A raised his weapon to keep me from trying to attack him and was about to speak into the radio when the Mazda hopped the curve going at least 30 miles an hour and in three short seconds hit the officer and rolled right over top of him. I fell back on the wet grass and shouted a few obscenities as I heard his bones break and the sports car slid to a halt right in front of me. The door to the passenger side opened, and a young-looking redhead turned toward me in the same panic that I'd had a few minutes ago. Is this 33 Hazelnut Drive? She shouted to me, and I could only nod dumbly as she gestured for me to get in the car. What? I'm not going with you! I muttered, then she showed me the same sort of burner cell that I was holding. I think they want us to team up, she said. I held my breath for a moment as I looked towards the officers, and then she said, Either that, or you can figure out how to finish this challenge on your own. I glared at her and climbed into the passenger side of the Mazda before we drove off. I've got a thousand questions for this young girl, but right now, all that matters is making it to the dump. I get the feeling from there, we'll probably need to work together too. Melissa. She said her name as we pulled into the parking lot of the dump just five minutes before our hour was up. Her phone and mine pinged at the same time as we sat there in the dark with the same message. Three. Find the others. All right, uh, let's get in there, Melissa said as she turned off the engine to the Mazda. Hold on a second. Let's stop for a minute and at least think, I argued. What's there to think about? What do you need to know? Did I sign up for some dumb internet challenge thinking it was all fun and games? Yes. Uh, did they blackmail me into hitting those cops and bringing you here? Yes. What else is there to say? Who did they hurt that you know? I asked softly. Melissa grabbed the steering wheel and let out a soft breath before muttering, 
Does it matter? I'm not going to waste time spilling my life story to some complete stranger when I need to finish this challenge and get them back. She moved towards the barbed wire fence that kept any and all passerbys from just slipping in undetected and then toward the main gate about a block from where we parked. I bet we could ram that thing, she said as she started back towards the driver's seat. Hold on, hold on, I said standing in her way. Listen, I want to get my family back as much as you do, but we've already committed a federal crime. Do you really want to add another problem to our growing list? She crossed her arms and sighed. Do you have any brighter ideas? Let's look around. There's got to be another way in. I suggested as I led the way down the side of the fence line. Neither of us talked as we started searching it for any sort of weak points. And as we made it to the south side near the water, I was beginning to think that maybe her idea would have been the smarter choice. Hey, what's this? Melissa said as she peeked over a rock and found what appeared to be a toolkit of some sort. I reached down and opened it to find a pair of bolt cutters and then glanced towards the fence and said, And look, it's our way in. I motioned her over towards one of the shorter spots on the fence where there was a gate that opened to the other side and said, I'll hoist you up and you can cut open the gate. All right, she said, brushing her hair back and taking the cutters. I knelt down and let the young girl lift herself onto my shoulders, and then gingerly lifted her up at least three feet into the air. I wobbled back and forth for a good thirty seconds as I struggled to hold her, and Melissa cut apart the wiring to slip over. I think I can get over now. She called as I told her to hurry. I heard dogs barking from somewhere nearby, like there was some sort of search team in the area. I gave her a final boost and then looked up as the redhead slipped out of view to the other side. The barking became more intense as I shouted to her to open the gate. Three tall, dark Dutch shepherds bounded around the corner, gnashing their teeth as they came towards me. I panicked and was about to pull out the gun I'd been given when Melissa shouted for me to get near the gate. Don't waste your bullets! She yelled as one of the dogs snapped against my arm and I tried to cover my face. She opened the gate and pulled me, slamming the door shut as the second dog lunged for me. The animal made a yelp as it tried to snatch at my foot and I kicked it away scrambling to stand up as I checked my wound. You'll be fine. We need to look around, Melissa said as the dogs kept barking. They won't stop until they find us, I pointed out as we walked down the central dump site. In the dim light of the moon, it was hard to tell what we were supposed to be looking for, and the smell was enough to make me want to vomit. See anything? Melissa asked as we rounded another tall stack of garbage. Not a thing. I said as I paused and looked towards the crane that was moving large chunks of metal and dumping them onto a fresh pile about 20 yards away from us. Maybe we're looking in the wrong way, I said as I moved over toward the pile and started to rummage through the trash. What? What are you doing? Melissa asked. I, I don't know. Call it a hunch. She was about to tell me that I was wasting my time when I moved aside another pile of debris and saw a man's hand sticking out from the trash. Holy shit! She yelled. Help me, I told her. Together, we worked to pull the man out and then laid him down on the soft ground next to the trash heap as he struggled to breathe. We did it, Melissa said excitedly, trying not to freak out. I knew why she was nervous, though. The game had forced this man to bury himself in the garbage, and if we hadn't found him in time, he coughed up sewage and blood as he struggled to find words and pointed toward the heap again. My partner, he mumbled. My eyes widened and I went digging again, trying desperately to find another person within the trash. Nineteen minutes later, I found a young man wearing a number 13 sports jersey in bright red. He was barely clinging to life. Are you the only ones? 
I asked the first man as Melissa tried to get the second one conscious. He was too weak to talk, though. I checked the time. It was only 23 minutes before we got our next challenge. Maybe then we would find out if we managed to save some of these participants. Melissa was the only one who brought her phone, but we spent the next 23 minutes moving the two men we had found away from the main site and toward an exit. The dogs were still barking wildly outside, trying to find us as I strategized an exit plan. We need to move. It's not safe here, I said as I checked my watch. They probably already found the Mazda and know about the hit and run, Melissa realized. We're sitting near the water. Maybe there's a ferry we can board to get to the other side, I suggested. At that exact moment, about 13 minutes early, the next message popped up on the screen. 4. Board the ferry. How the hell? I said, and then shook it off. It didn't matter. I guess we know that they're watching us. Big surprise, she said as she looked around. Okay, so we now know that there's a boat. Which way was the water? I paused to listen to the early morning sounds around the dump. Besides the continuous barking, I could hear the distant waves and then pointed towards the northwest. The first man was more coherent by this point and was checking to see if his partner was waking up. Wayne, come on, we gotta move. The first man said as he shook him and cussed softly. We can carry him, I offered as I used my own body weight on one side and Melissa did the other. The man nodded and then together we moved to the northeast exit. Melissa used the bolt cutters again and then pushed the gate open to make it to the rocky beach. I fully expected there to be some sort of ship just anchored there waiting for us, someone that would provide us with all the answers. Instead, all I saw was barren shore. What the fuck? Melissa asked when I saw a search team bounding towards us, guns raised and dogs leaping over stones to reach our spot. Come on! I shouted as I helped the second man move towards the sand and then peered down river. I don't see shit. Is this some sort of trick? Melissa asked desperately. The dogs were almost on us. The first man raised his weapon and fired straight at the closest dog as a warning shot. Then one of the mastiffs leapt and tackled him to the ground. Fuck! I screamed as I dropped Wayne and started to press my back against the water. One of the SWAT teams let out a whistle as the dog circled us and the first man pushed an angry mastiff away until its owner pulled the dog back and then pointed an assault rifle straight at his heart. Lionel Garland, the SWAT officer asked. Melissa and I looked toward the first man and he nodded, complacently raising his hands over his head and adding, You can take me in. These people had nothing. That was the last thing he got to say. The SWAT commander sent a bullet straight through his skull, and Lionel fell down on the sand like a limp doll. Holy shit! Melissa screamed. The officers pointed their weapons towards us next. I felt my head spin as I tried to understand what just happened. Then a bright searchlight trailed across the water. I turned and saw a small boat moving rapidly toward our location. I knew that had to be our ride. Don't move, the commander said. But I knew better than to trust anything that these people said. Something flew over my head and hit the beach with a resounding thud, then a wave of smoke poured out of the bomb as the officers scrambled back and tried to keep their weapons trained on our bodies. Melissa grabbed my arms as the dogs yelped and ran away from the stench that the bomb was giving off. We can't leave them, I said, looking towards the second man. If we don't, then we won't get out of here alive, she argued back, but I didn't care. I pushed towards the second man and grabbed him up by the arm, hoisting him over my shoulder as I saw another armed man trying to aim for my back. It was all I could do to run to the open water and push the second man onto the side of the boat. 
The armed man let out a shot, piercing my lower thigh, and I screamed in pain as Melissa helped me onto the boat, and our unseen rescuer tossed another smoke bomb toward our assailants and zoomed away down the murky waters. You're hurt, the woman that rescued us said as she saw blood dripping from my thigh. I looked up at her, and it took a moment for me to register that she was missing her right arm. Not as bad as him. Do you have a first aid kit? I asked. She nodded and went below deck while a second woman steered our boat further away from the shore. I propped up the second man next to the lifeboats and then got him to spit up a little vomit and breathe as she returned with the supplies. The young man opened his eyes wildly and tried to bolt before I motioned him to stay still. We're contestants just like you, I told him. Well, actually, that wasn't entirely true because I didn't know for sure who our rescuers were at the time. Lionel, where is he? The young man asked. Melissa looked down at the deck soberly and gave him the bad news. Fuck. Fucking hell. He said, slamming his fist down on the solid wood deck. The woman that had rescued us looked toward the captain of the ship and then lit a cigarette. Well, that makes things a little more complicated, doesn't it? She muttered as she started to smoke. Who are you people? Melissa asked softly. We'll talk in a minute. And for now, scrub up and get some rest. You're going to need it for what comes next. The three of us went below deck about 20 minutes after our rescue, although Wayne took the longest as he had to scrub some blood out of his number 13 jersey. Once in the rec room, the woman in charge asked us to all sit and told us we'd only have to wait a few minutes to get the answers we needed. Wayne asked me briefly what I was doing. Oh, I'm logging everything and posting it online for the world to know. It seems like a waste of time to me. You should focus on the here and now, he muttered. What do you mean by that? Why do we have to wait? Melissa asked. Her phone chirped with the response. Five. Talk. She looked at the phone in confusion and then tossed it down. How the fuck are they doing that? Trackers and burners. They monitor your every move and know if you have failed to complete a task. The woman answered as she pulled out her phone and tossed it to me. It's the same way I knew where to find you. They provided me a photo and a name. Melissa Walker, Daniel Stratton, Wayne Salsby, Lionel Garland. She bit her lip and sighed before adding, Except, it looks like I didn't fulfill my task, at least not 100%. Probably have to pay for that a little later in the day. Well, that's all well and good, but you still haven't told us who you are and how you know so much about this game, Wayne pointed out. Yeah, and I thought the challenges were supposed to be difficult. What's hard about just talking? I muttered as I slid her phone back to her. You might change your tone after you listen to what I have to say. Our rescuer said as she motioned for me to dim the lights and then turned on some sort of projector. The machine whirred to life and a few static-covered images came up one by one. Eventually, there were twelve of them. This is the team that played the 24-hour game in 2013. Twelve strangers. They were strung together from an online forum with the premise that completing the game would land them the prize of a lifetime, she explained. The next slide showed eight of the same group, except badly bruised, bloodied, or suffering from what looked like third-degree burns. Wayne covered his mouth in disgust. These are the ones that made it out alive. If you call being in a medically-induced coma a life, that is, she said. What happened to the others? Melissa asked nervously. And disappeared. Vanished off the face of the earth. Most likely dead. The next slide came up and showed another group of twelve. Melissa got up in a rush and ran outside to vomit at the sight of their brutal injuries. None of this group came back alive. 
They made it to Challenge 10 and never any further. I've done my best to try and string together what happened, but none of it's very comforting. And you? Why are you here? 2016 group. These were the best of the best, and myself included among them. We thought that we had everything worked out because we planned ahead, brought supplies and food, but every time we thought we were ready, the game just pushed back and showed us who was boss. She paused and looked toward her stump where her arm had been surgically removed and added, I don't have to tell you what I lost last year. Bloody hell, Wayne muttered. This is insane. Who are these people? I asked angrily. That is what I'm hoping to find out. I volunteered on this round to finish it and to stop the game for good, she told us. You can't be that naive. Clearly these people have power. They'll kill you once they realize what you're doing, Melissa said as she came back inside. Call it stupidity or bravery, I don't care which. The only thing that matters is if you want to win this. You're going to need my help, she said. Did the game tell you that too? Melissa sneered. No, Lionel did, the woman snapped back. The room went silent for a moment, as the three of us that had been drawn there considered the gravity of the situation that we were in. The same question on all of our minds. What happens if we try to walk away? Wayne asked. I would think that- I would think- I would think- I would think you already knew that, Mr. Salsby. Whoever or whatever they did to you to make you get this far, they'll take it away forever. I thought about my family. Do you really think we have a shot at winning? I asked nervously. If we work together, we can certainly try. I've only got as far as the 14th round, though. And that's when I had to take my losses. The woman answered as she looked towards the others. Now maybe you see why it's not so easy to talk, she added. Melissa got up and walked out again, clearly disturbed by the sudden turn of events. Well, I'm in, definitely. I want to honor Lionel and see this thing through to the end, Wayne said. Me too. I have a family that they took from me, and I'm not going down without a fight, I said. Don't expect it to be any easier once we reach the North Bank. That's where the first cache will likely be waiting, the woman added. Wayne nodded and said that Wayne nodded and said that he was going to change clothes, leaving just me and our rescuer alone for the moment. You know an awful lot about what is going to happen next, I pointed out. It's not all blind luck, Mr. Stratton. The game is coordinated from the very beginning to ensure that every step can be accomplished if the contestants are willing to do so. Typically, the people they dupe into becoming participants are all are around the same area, same time zone to keep the schedule organized. That means that they'll likely be using the Appalachian Mountains as the staging ground for whatever happens next, she told me. Sounds fun, I quipped. Most likely not, she said, in no mood for jokes, and then added, Heather Bradley, by the way. I hope I can count on you and the others in the hours to come. The morning sun was just coming up over the river, stretching out long beams of light against the small boat we found ourselves in. Melissa was leaning against the railing, watching the sun rise as we sailed towards the north shore. I sighed and stood beside her, trying to clear my head. What do you make of all this? Do you trust her? I asked. The young redhead looked at me and then scooted away. I don't even trust you. I don't even know if your name is really Daniel, she muttered. What? What's gotten into you? I'm just facing the facts. We're in over our head. 
I didn't expect this. I, I just wanted to... She started to bawl and shake her head before reaching into her pocket and taking out the burner phone. I don't give a damn what happens anymore. I'm done. She snapped and tossed it into the water. Hey, what's gotten into you? I asked. Her eyes are puffy and red as I stare at her, and then a sudden realization hits me. Those people from the past group. You knew some of them, I guessed. My dad. He joined the last group, probably right alongside our savior, if that's really what she is. Melissa said bitterly. How long has he been gone? I whispered. At least nine months, maybe ten. I held out hope that maybe he was still alive somewhere, because he didn't come back after he lost. He told me he still wanted to play this stupid game, she said. I shook my head in confusion, looking toward the water. It didn't make sense. Then Heather came out and muttered, Which one of you tossed the burner? Melissa sheepishly looked up, and then Heather showed me the new challenge she'd been given. Six. Retrieve the phone. That's crazy. These waters are ice cold this time of year. Plus, it's like six meters to the bottom. Maybe twice that much, I said. You think I don't know that? But it's what we have to do. If we don't, it's game over. No cash. No further instructions. We lose everything. Heather scowled. Melissa looked toward the freezing water in surprise as Heather sighed. We'll have maybe 40 minutes. Do we need to draw straws? Obviously I can't, she said, waving her stubbed arm as though it were a battle trophy. I'll do it. A voice chimed in, and I looked up to see her partner gesture for Heather to come take the wheel. Celeste, you can't. You'll catch hypothermia if you're in that water for any longer than, like, 13 minutes, Heather argued. Nineteen, actually. We came prepared for all kinds of situations. I don't see how this is any different, her partner said as she took off her turtleneck and stretched for a minute. It's her fault. Make her go, Heather said, pointing towards the younger woman. What? Uh, I... I... Melissa stammered. Wayne came out to hear what all the commotion was about. After briefly explaining the situation, he raised his hands up and said, Hey, don't look at me. I can't swim. Move aside. Watch the ship and I'll be back in a jiffy. Wait, maybe I should go, I suggested. This debate is wasting time. You've still got fresh wounds that need to heal. Freezing water will do more harm than good, Celeste argued as she got down to the bare minimum of clothing to keep from being too heavy. Then Heather took the wheel and steered the boat as close to the spot where Melissa had dropped her phone before allowing her partner to jump overboard. I held my breath, trying to see how long it might take for her to get back to the surface. Three seconds turned into thirty, then almost a minute had passed by. Do you see her? Heather asked frantically. No, nothing, Melissa answered. God damn it. Come on, Celeste. I chimed in as I looked down into the murky water. A moment later, she popped back up on the port side of the ship and gasped for air. Five minutes and twenty seconds. Godspeed, I said excitedly. Get down below and grab a warm blanket, Heather ordered us. Melissa was the one that obeyed, and I offered Celeste my coat to keep the harsh morning air from causing her too much harm. She shivered and chattered her teeth as she touched her ice-cold fingers and said, See? Nothing to it. You're fucking stupid. Heather said as Melissa returned alongside Wayne. What, what the hell happened? He asked as he looked at Celeste. It was a long story. We're all good now, I told him. Did anyone else get the text then? He asked. I stopped what I was doing as she showed me the phone where another message had popped up. 6.2. 
tossed the phone. What is this? Melissa asked, snatching it from him to read. Are you kidding me? She just risked her life to get this goddamn thing! Melissa squeaked. Heather marched down from the steering column, her eyes blazing with fury as she grabbed Wayne's burner and read the message herself. None of you were fucking listening to me before back there, were you? She says with a laugh as she moves over to her partner and snatches the dead phone that she just retrieved. Don't you get it by now? It's their rules. We play by them and we get to live. We're the puppets here. Heather screams as she waves the wet phone in Melissa's face. And this? This right here? It's just fucking reminding us who's in charge. She, she said as she tossed it overboard again. She stormed below deck to cool off as Celeste wrapped herself in a warm blanket and nodded in thanks towards all of us. I'll, I'll be fine, she stammered as she went downstairs. I nod and looked toward Melissa, her eyes just as red and puffy as before the entire ordeal took place. We're all gonna die playing this game, she mutters. Hey, hey, look at me, I said as I'm reminded of my own six-year-old son. We're gonna get through this, do you hear me? We are. She nods weakly and smiles before adding, I'm sorry about how I acted before. I hope you find your family. She rubs my arm and then stands up slowly on the railing. Hold on, what are you doing? I asked. There's nothing left for me to win anymore, she said through critted teeth. But before she can make the jump, a dart hits her in the back of the neck. I brace myself to catch her unconscious form as I look toward the stairs and saw Heather standing there with a gun in her hand. No one is leaving, she orders. I slid Melissa over to rest beside the blanket Celeste left and feel a shudder run down my spine. I'm suddenly not sure which is worse, playing the game or the people I'm playing it with. It was around 6.10 when we reached the shore, the wide ranges of the Appalachians stretching out in front of us with a raw beauty that, under normal circumstances, I probably would have enjoyed seeing. But these aren't normal circumstances at all. I'm cold and tired and hungry as I help Melissa get out of the ship and follow our new leader toward the rugged, sandy shores. We haven't gotten any new instructions yet, Wayne pointed out as he stretched and looked toward the winding forest. It won't be long now, Heather remarked as she looked about, seemingly checking around for something hidden in the sand. A moment later, she spots it and digs out a large metal chest. In some ways, it reminds me of one of the items that I received earlier in the same day. She opened it up, and to my relief, I saw food inside, along with a note. Seven. Eat. I guess this is our reward for good behavior? Celeste says as she drops her backpack and takes out one of the sandwiches. Heather seems nervous, looking around the isolated bay as though someone is watching us. What is it? I asked. This doesn't feel right. The game never goes easy on anyone. Never. It's almost an unwritten rule she said. Maybe it did because we followed through with the last set of instructions, and we've been handling the challenges pretty great so far, in my opinion. Wayne said as he started to munch on a sandwich. That's just it. This is a challenge. That means there's something else to do besides just eating a damn tuna sandwich, Heather said. Wayne seems to mull over this for a short moment, and then suddenly his eyes go wide as he drops the food into the sand. Fuck, 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 he says repeatedly as he grabs at his windpipe. Daniel, drop the damn phone, help me! He's having an allergic reaction, Heather ordered. 
What happened over the next 13 minutes seemed like it stretched longer than it could have possibly been. I ran over to Wayne's side to check the sandwich, trying to figure out what ingredients he might have been allergic to, and then Celeste shouted, There's an EpiPen on the boat! Melissa drops her own food and runs towards the ship as we lay Wayne down, and he continues to struggle to breathe. I look down at my own food and toss it down, not even daring to take a bite. I think it's all been poisoned. It's a trick, I said. Celeste seemed to nod in agreement, but her partner wasn't hearing any more excuses. Heather clenched her teeth and then muttered, No, it's more than that. It's another damn test. We have to finish the challenge. We have to eat. She bit down on her food, and I watched hesitantly as she swallowed without anything bad happening. Some of it's laced with allergens, some of it isn't. We have to choose wisely to get the right ones, she realized. Wayne is gasping, barely conscious as Melissa ran back with the kit. Celeste turns him over and starts to get the correct dosage as I stare down at my own food. We don't know which is which, do we? I asked. Afraid not, Heather admitted as she paced the shore. I'm not eating anything. Melissa stammered. Wayne started to regain his composure as the medicine took effect, then Heather pointed her gun at Melissa again. You're really starting to piss me off, you know that? First you nearly jeopardize this whole thing by being stupid, then you try to kill yourself. Well, if you're so eager to die, then why don't you just eat the damn sandwich? Heather screamed. Melissa raised her hands defensively, and I reached down and got my own food, nibbling on it a bit. I, I think, I think I'm fine. We can share. I said as I kept staring at Heather, her eyes still wide with rage. Those are the kinds of eyes that hide something. Melissa took a bite of my sandwich and then passed it over to Celeste. Well, now we know that two of them aren't laced with any toxins, I said. For the next ten minutes, we took turns biting the same sandwich to get a little strength back. I offered Wayne the most after he was finally able to breathe clearly. I'm scared that it'll just come back up, he said. We all have to do it. You know the rules. I said. I didn't want Heather to have another tirade, so Wayne nodded solemnly and ate. The silence that followed over the rest of the hour was deafening, but one thing that was abundantly clear as I sat there and stared at the four strangers that were alongside me, none of us seemed to really know what was going to happen next. I guess there was no cash this time, Celeste said in frustration. Heather didn't bother to make a reply. Then almost forty-five minutes later, I heard a strange noise coming from the north and looked towards the mountains. It was a black helicopter, most likely from the same SWAT team that had attacked us near the dump. It's another assault! Melissa shrieked. She was about to get up and run when Heather held her back and we all watched as something was tossed out of the side of the helicopter. What the? Wayne started to say as a crate fell not but thirty feet from us. Told you there was always a drop, Heather said triumphantly. Then three seconds later the helicopter started to point its nose towards the water and I held my breath. They're gonna crash! I said frantically as the sound of their chopper grew louder. We stood up in frantic shock as the helicopter grew closer, whirling past our heads and straight to the rocks nearby. It burst into a hundred different directions and from beneath the flames and carnage I heard the soft, familiar sound of a phone chime. There, pinned down to the cockpit, was a young soldier wearing his uniform, pinned to the flaming metal by a long, sharp piece of shrapnel. There was no way I could see to get him free. The young soldier grabbed my arm. Beneath his mask, I could see he was shaking with fear, though he tried to hide it. We're gonna get you out of here, I said, even though I knew it was a lie. 
He reached into his other pocket in his suit and pulled out the cracked cell phone that displayed the next set of instructions from the game. He ordered as he pushed me away. Wayne tugged me away and the flames grew higher and higher. I knew there was nothing I could do and yet I still wanted to try. That point became moot a few seconds later as the rest of the helicopter went up in a rising explosion. Wayne and I were knocked back by the force of the blast. I coughed and covered my face, desperate to crawl away from the disaster and towards the others. Heather and Celeste were just calmly moving the trunk across our small beach camp, seemingly unfazed by the events that just transpired. What did he give you? Celeste asked. I raised the phone up for them to see and tossed it toward Heather. That? Uh, oh, and let's not forget his life! I screamed at them. Celeste nodded soberly while her partner just kept sorting through the supplies that the man had given us. You're just a piece of work. A real cold-hearted bitch. I said, shaking my head in disbelief. Look, we all made sacrifices to get this far. Some of them greater than others. Trust me, when this is over, we can mourn each other and every one of them. But right now, we need to keep moving. Heather responded as she showed me what was on the soldier's phone. It was hard to determine exactly what it was, except that it was a photo. And it looked like a tree. Melissa looked over my shoulder to get a good look. Is that an eight? She guessed. Our next waypoint. There's no telling how far or which direction except, of course, the way that this helicopter flew in from. Are you able to walk? I don't want stragglers. She said, glancing at my leg and then toward Wayne. We're fine. Let's go. He insisted. Heather didn't bother to ask twice and marched straight toward a rugged trail that led towards the vast forest. Celeste pulled back from keeping up with her partner to walk alongside me and, apparently, have a heart-to-heart. -heart. Let me guess. Heather is really deep down a good person, I muttered under my breath. She used to be, Celeste said, which actually took me by surprise. What happened? I asked. The game happened. Back then, she thought it was just a simple run. Dangerous tasks that got harder and harder as you progressed. That's what all the online forums said anyway, she explained. Yeah, I read those too. It doesn't make sense. Why would those people lie when they risked life and limb or sometimes worse? I asked. They didn't. Those responses that she found, they were all computer generated. Each and every one of them. Designed to lure people to sign up, to play this <laughs> twisted game. A few things in my brain were clicking together, but it only made my stomach twist more and more. So, I take it you didn't go with her these last two runs? I asked. Well, I didn't, and she won't talk about what happened. But I know it changed her in more than just a physical way. It took her six and a half damn weeks to be able to walk again after physical therapy last year, though. Celeste said. If she lost so much, why is she here now? This is the third time she's tried to finish. I realized. I don't know, but I told her she couldn't do it without me. Celeste responded. Deep down, I knew that was another lie. A person like Heather wouldn't have stopped simply because of something so small. She is like Captain Ahab, and this game is her white whale, I realized. I can't even fathom what that means for us. Her humble, Pequod crew. Hey, I think I found something! Melissa shouted from behind. 
Our little entourage stopped its march, and Heather walked over to where the red-headed girl was standing. Sure enough, there was a tree with the correct Roman numeral on it. Good work, Heather says, but before we can even get a chance to celebrate, Wayne calls out in the opposite direction. Hey, it's over here, I think. I frown and rush over to him to get a good look. Which one is it? Celeste asked nervously. Heather took out her burner and snapped a picture of the marker. A simple message tells us what our task really is. Incorrect. We have to find the right one, I said. The five of us move over toward the other tree and snap another photo and the same message. Shit, Melissa said worriedly. Spread out. We got 19 minutes to find the right one, Heather yelled. This time, none of us questioned her instructions, but as each passing minute slipped by, I started to feel a cold lump grow in my stomach again. There are at least 30 trees spread across three football fields' length of acreage. None of them were the right one. Then, as we only had two minutes left to spare, I heard Melissa scream. I dropped everything and ran to her aid, but it wasn't her that needed saving at all. There, in a tree marked with the same Roman numeral we were searching for, were three men dangling upside down from branches with their bodies exposed to the elements. I held my breath as the burner I was holding chimed again, and I saw our new task. 8. Let them die. Celeste and Heather rushed toward the trunk of the large maple, and even our fearless leader held her breath in a stunned silence as she looked up at the men struggling to breathe. It was immediately clear that the trio had climbed up the base of the wide tree and then tied the rope to both their legs and around their necks and then leapt from the height to be hanging like dolls. The way the knots were tied, though, prevented immediate strangulation, but rather a slow and painful death. Melissa was the first one to move toward the base, getting a good look at one of the men and screaming again, Dad? Dad? The man gagged and tried to speak something as he struggled and Melissa turned to look at the supplies Celeste and Heather had salvaged. There was a sharp machete amongst the tools, and she grabbed it without a second thought. Stop! Heather said as the redhead tried to climb the base of the tree. I don't give a damn about your rules! That's my dad up there! The younger girl screamed back. She kept slipping down, unable to get a proper footing, and I pushed her aside and said, Give me the knife. I trimmed trees for three years. I can scale the thing in no time. Heather clenched her fists and muttered, you know I can't let you do that, Daniel. God damn it! For once! Stop thinking about this damn game! I snapped back at her. Celeste didn't say a word as we stood there at another stalemate. You help them, and your family's gonna die, Heather argued. I stared up at the tree, trying my damnedest to find a way up as I held the knife in my teeth. Heather moved toward me, using her full strength to yank me away. I turned around and slammed my fist in her face, dropping the knife as we scuffled on the forest floor. The others watched in a stunned silence as we struggled for a few minutes, and somehow, despite her disability, Heather got the best of me and pinned me down with the knife straight at my neck. If you try that again, so help me, I will kill you! She growled. I didn't say a word. I was staring past her, up toward the tree where Celeste was already halfway up. Heather turned and looked to see her partner near where the ropes were tied, and she started shouting, begging her to come down. Celeste! God damn it, why does no one listen to me? I held Heather back as Celeste got to work, trying her hardest to slowly cut the rope as Melissa and Wayne moved over to the supplies. Uh, there's a blanket here. We could use that to catch them when they fall, Wayne suggested. Uh, a fall from that height is going to break a few bones, 
Heather pointed out. At least they'll be alive. I countered as I pushed her away and moved to help the other two stretch the blanket out. She just stood there, looking exasperated as Celeste continued to cut, the men barely hanging on to consciousness as she did. Finally, the rope wore thin and Melissa's father fell down toward us in three short seconds. I gripped the sheet as best I could to help soften the drop, but just as Heather had predicted, all we heard was a loud snap of bones as his body crumpled onto the floor. Melissa screamed again and rushed to her father's side, trying to see if he was even conscious. For a second, there was no response out of him. Then, the bruised and battered man started to cough up blood. Oh, he's, he's alive! He's alive! Heather stammered. Celeste was busy trying to cut the other ropes when Heather moved toward the second man and said, This one's already dead. Her partner checked the last man to confirm the same, and then climbed down to where Melissa's father was struggling to breathe. I'm a nurse. Let me see him. Celeste said as she got close. Taking what little medical equipment we had available, she checked his lungs first and muttered, I don't think he's going to last long. Melissa grabbed his hand, her father starting to sob as they laid near each other. There's nothing we can do then, but to get him some mercy, Wayne suggested as he turned to Heather to ask for the gun. For once, since I met her, I saw hesitation in her eyes. He's gonna die anyway, Wayne argued. Just give us a few minutes alone. Heather nodded and the rest of us moved away as she lay there, sobbing and cradling her father's broken body. A few scattered thoughts across my mind as I watched the two of them. There was no way that this met here by accident. He had to be another contestant of the game. But Melissa had said that he had disappeared almost six months ago to play. How was it that he was still playing after all this time? I watched as he motioned toward the burner phone that she held, and Melissa was looking through it, apparently surprised by what she was seeing. Then, a moment later, a familiar chirp came up, and the rest of us moved toward Heather to see what it was. A video clip played showed Melissa's dad and his group marking the trees. Their fingers were bloody and torn from being forced to use their bare nails. This is Sergeant Jack Walker, fulfilling prerequisite 9 of the 20 foot appeared to be a small flash drive. The man passed it to Jack, and he opened his mouth and swallowed it before giving the next set of instructions. Step 10. Open me up. You have one hour from this timestamp. and I stared at the others as a countdown came up. The clock was ticking again. It's been almost 10 hours since I started this game. 10 hours and 14 to go. I know what's going to be coming after this. I'm not ready. I, I know it isn't going to get any easier. The only thing keeping me sane is the hope that my family is alive somewhere, being held captive and waiting to be reunited with me after I finished all these damn tasks. But now, after what happened there, in the early morning sun in a secluded forest in the Appalachian Mountains, I, I'm not so sure that it's easy anymore. Not that any of this is easy, to be fucking fair, at least Three people have died since I started this last night? I can't imagine what the body count will be when I'm done. You should probably stop checking these logs, to be honest. There's no reason for you to have to share this journey with me. Or, or maybe that's part of the game. Maybe it's stringing us all along like a carrot to a mule. I, I 
just don't know anymore. Except that I had to perform surgery on a dying man in the woods in less than 35 minutes. We can't do this. We don't have the right equipment, Celeste argued first. We'll have to use the hunting gear, Wayne suggests. Well, maybe we should just let him fall asleep first, Heather says, reminding us all that the man is about to die. Let him have these last moments in peace, Melissa sobbed, but I already know better. The game is forcing us to complete another impossible task. I was about to make the final decision when her dad spat up more blood and touched Melissa's cheek. Do it, he said in a frail voice. She clenched his hand and sobbed as we stood over him. Then Celeste knelt down alongside him and asked a few simple questions. How long ago did you swallow it? About an hour and a half ago, he stuttered. Where does it hurt most? And where the least? Then she took a few deep breaths and motioned Melissa and I to hold him down. It's probably still in his stomach, she realized as she gently pressed on the area, trying to feel around for it. Wouldn't something like that be dissolved by stomach acid? Wayne asked from afar. He seemed more uncomfortable than all of us as Celeste made the first small incision right below the man's belly button. Well, it's not likely. If it passed through his intestines, then it likely would have gotten stuck there, Celeste said as she started cutting deeper. I don't want to remember his screams. And they were low because of his collapsed lung, but still, every cut she made was causing more and more excruciating pain to the man. Melissa squeezed her father's hand as tight as she could as Celeste went deeper. He stopped screaming, his body spasming as he went into shock. Stop! Please! Please stop! Melissa begged. Heather moved over to pull the redhead away. It's killing him! Melissa screamed. Heather couldn't hold the girl, but already Celeste had proven successful. A pool of his stomach acid dripped out onto her bare palm as she began to stick her hand into the open body cavity. Again, Melissa's father moaned as Celeste searched more of his acid spilling out like she had just gutted some wild animal. Melissa kept screaming as her father's eyes rolled back and Wayne moved over to get her away. He's gone! Stop! He's gone! Wayne insisted. I looked toward his mouth and watched as her father took his last breath. Still, even after that, Celeste didn't stop in her search. In fact, she just went after it with more fervor than before now that she knew that she wasn't causing any more pain to the man. Melissa sobbed helplessly as the nurse carved open her father's stomach completely, and then I heard her ribcage crack as she pushed it all the way open, and all the acid pooled out onto the floor. From amid all of that, Celeste spotted what we were looking for, and snatched the small flash drive up, holding it like it was a trophy. But none of us had much to say as we stood there, staring at the man we hardly knew that had lost his life because of it. Can we... Melissa said as she finally came to grips with the reality of the situation. Can we g give him a burial? Heather nodded slowly, letting Celeste and I use some of the larger tools to dig a shallow grave. I knew it wasn't a proper burial, having him left naked and exposed to the elements. I looked up at the swaying corpses in the tree, realizing that maybe it was a bit better than the fate of his comrades and that maybe no animal would come along to disembowel his body any more than we already had celeste recited a bible verse and then walked over to heather wayne didn't say a word he just slowly and silently made the symbol of a cross over his chest and moved away melissa just sat there staring at the man that had raised her i knelt down next to her fully expecting that silence to continue 
Instead, for reasons I can't fully explain, that young girl started talking, and I listened. It was his birthday when we suggested that he sign up for it. He's... He's always had this spirit for adventure. Climbed Mount Mitchell last year, a whole 6,683 feet. I thought he could do anything. It's my fault he played this game. My fault he wouldn't quit, either. She shook her head. Listen, it's not... I told her. It is. He made it to the twelfth leg last time. And he had to quit because of some damn stomach bug. We lost the foreclosure on our house. We lost everything because of this stupid game. She said bitterly. I sat there in stunned, awkward silence, realizing that their greed had plunged them into this mess, and greed had pushed him to come again. I'm going to sit here alongside her for now. He had to win this time. That's why I joined. To make sure I could help him. But the game, it knew what we were doing. I don't know how, but it knew. That was the last thing that Melissa told me before we had to get a move on again. Heather and Celeste both were certain that it wasn't safe anymore, near to the grove where we found the three men. I could tell Melissa barely had the strength to walk, let alone answer the rest of the questions I had. But I knew that some of those answers had to be on the flash drive we had just extracted from her dead father's stomach. I voiced those concerns out loud and muttered, What do you think's on the drive? I don't know, Celeste responded, looking to Melissa for a response. It's almost 10.30. We need to take a minute to rest before we get on to our next task, Heather told us as we stopped near a babbling brook. None of us objected, and I got down on my hands and knees, scooping up fresh water as I washed blood from my hands and then took a drink. The burner phone we had taken from the helicopter pilot chirped as I kept washing my hands. What does it say? Wayne asked. Shit. Heather was the one that said that, and it immediately got me worried. I stood up and checked the message myself. Eleven. Run. I don't think I want to know what that means, I muttered. The five of us looked around the quiet woods again, trying to anticipate some sort of danger. Which way do we go? Wayne asked. I was about to make a suggestion when I heard a noise from the east and the way we had came. It sounded like a gentle rumble, and then I saw smoke rising slowly over the tops of the trees. There were helicopters moving off in the distance. It's a fire! Celeste realized. Heather grabbed up the backpacks as Wayne and I got our supply crate. Melissa just stood there again, still numb from the sudden loss of her dad. I dropped the crate as I heard the roar of the flames getting closer and moved to tug at her arm. We have to go! Why? What does it matter? She said angrily. Oh, don't do this again. Not now. I urged her. The fire was almost to us. I don't have any reason to keep going. Same as before, really. It's ironic. I waited six months to get my dad back, and then only for a few minutes to watch him die. Melissa laughed. Just leave her, Wayne complained. And I shook my head and looked toward Heather, who was already bounding over the next ridge. 
Your dad wouldn't want you to die out here in this place. He would want you to keep going, to fight this for as long as you possibly can. I told her. She was staring toward the raging inferno like she was enticed by the death that it offered. But as soon as a tree smashed down in her face, she was broken out of her reverie and grabbed at my arm. We wasted enough time, and the blaze was surrounding us as I grabbed up the supply crate alongside Wayne. We moved forward to the north, my eyes searching the forest for Celeste and her partner up ahead. The inferno got stronger, pushing out toward the exterior of our trail. Somewhere above, I heard the roar of engines. More helicopters? Maybe part of the team that younger soldier had been on. They were the ones dropping firebombs on us ahead, and as our fivesome grouped up again near a ridge, I wondered just how many people this game had manipulated into being played. We're gonna have to climb, Heather realized as she slung the backpack over her good arm and slowly pulled up the side of the rocks. Celeste was right there alongside her, doing her best to help her partner with each precarious foothold as the inferno surrounded us near the ground. We can't get that crate up there. I realized as I dropped it and started to rummage through the supplies to see what was left that we could carry on our own. I grabbed a rope and another knife, then motioned for Melissa to climb alongside me, as he seemed the most agile to get to the top first. I could feel the fire scorching my skin as we climbed. I heard Heather scream out as she nearly lost her grip, then Wayne reached the top and tossed the rope over for the rest of us. Celeste made sure that her partner went first. Then I hoisted Melissa above me as the raging inferno singed my back. I closed my eyes, flashes of Marcy and Michael crossing my mind as I thought that this was the end. Only sheer willpower kept me going. I climbed because of them. Their lives depended on my success. I stumbled over the edge as I reached the flat surface of the rock face and Heather helped me the rest of the way, the two of us collapsing as we caught our breath. No one said a word for a long moment as we recovered and watched the blaze rage below. Then the phone chirped again. Another impossible task. Fuck! Can't we ever get a fucking break? I asked as I turned to the others to ask what it might be. But none of them seemed willing to even make a sound. Well, what is it this time? Hmm? Please, someone speak up! I shouted. Step 12. Congratulations on making it halfway through the day. Now it's time to take things to the next level. Eliminate one of your competition. Celeste said, reading the message aloud. I stood there, looking toward all of them, and knew immediately what the message meant. One of us wasn't leaving that writ. This is insane, Wayne muttered. And nothing we've done before this wasn't? I asked bitterly. I shook my head, trying to figure out a loophole. We can't do this. We, we, we can't, I argued. We don't have a fucking choice, Daniel. Hasn't everything so far shown you that? Heather said as she paced the top of the ridge. I shouldn't have ever let you come along. She apologized to Celeste. We're going to do this together, just like we planned. I can make the trade. It's going to work. I want to ask what they're talking about, but then Melissa chimes in. It should be me, she said. Enough with your suicidal bullshit! I snapped off at her. 
I'm not talking about dying, I'm talking about leaving the game. She sat back. Wait, what? Wayne asked. The wording said eliminate, Melissa said as she pulled up her own phone and Webster's dictionary on Google. Second definition here says to remove someone or exclude someone from an activity. Well, I think. I, I don't know how they say this, but the game the game's giving me an out, Melissa said. Heather laughed and looked at the raging fire below. <laughs> You're an idiot if you think that's how it goes, she said. She's right. If you quit, whatever the game held over your head will be taken away. It's too dangerous, I told her. Well, that's, that's just it, isn't it? Uh, I don't have anything left to lose, Melissa explained. Damn, why are you arguing this? If she wants to go, then let her go. You said it yourself, Heather. You don't want any stragglers, Wayne muttered. I meant that metaphorically. This is different, our leader argued. Well, we can't just leave you here. How will you even make it back to civilization? Celeste asked. Well, I don't know. Maybe I won't. It's, it's not your problem anymore. I've made up my mind, Melissa said. We should take a vote or something, I said. This is just wasting more time. That fire is going to be on top of us in a matter of minutes. I told you, let her go, Wayne insisted. I stop. I stare at him, trying to figure out why he's so eager to keep going. Why not you, then? What exactly does the game have that you want so badly? I countered. Heather also seemed to take consideration over my words and said, Daniel is right. All of us have made our motives pretty clear, except for you. Why are you here? <laughs> oh, this is so rich. You want to take that suicidal brat along, but not me? I was a Navy SEAL, for Christ's sakes. Wayne muttered. I stopped. I thought back to the conversation on the ferry. You said you couldn't swim, I said it out loud. What? Melissa asked as I see a few things registering in Wayne's eyes. What, what are you talking about? He stammered. When we were on the boat and Melissa tossed a phone overboard, you said, you told us point blank that you can't swim, I said. Well, okay, so I lied. I wasn't going to get in the damn icy river, he said. Heather was the one that caught on to what I was implying and pointed at him in accusation. You let my partner go in there without even a drop of hat. She could have died. We all could have lost everything because of your damn selfishness. She shouted. Hey, calm down. I want to live just like the rest of you. He said as he reached toward Heather and seemed like he was trying to give her a soft pat on her left shoulder. Then, in a split second, he kicked her back and snatched her gun up. I stepped back, raising my hands up defensively as Wayne pointed the weapon toward all of us. Whoa, whoa, what's going on here? I asked. This is what I get for letting you continue with those damn logs, Daniel, he muttered, shaking his head as he moved toward Melissa. Hey, just calm down. We can work this out, I said. Oh, yeah, we're going to work it out, all right. She's staying, and I'm going with you. End of discussion. We got another 41 minutes or so before the next challenge. Plenty of time for her to get off this rock. Wayne paused and then cocked the weapon and pointed it toward her head. Melissa gasped as he muttered, Well, if someone has a problem with that arrangement, we can just speed up the process. Just put the weapon down. We can work this out, Heather told him. Oh, well, it was okay earlier when you were the one waving a firearm around. Well, how does it feel now that you're the one being given the orders? Wayne snapped. Fine, just, just let her go, Wayne. No one has to get hurt, Celeste said. 
Please, don't hurt her. Heather agreed. He laughed out loud, and then pushed Melissa toward the ridge. Well, go on then. Go. You heard them. The vote is unanimous. In that short three seconds, while he was distracted, I rushed him. The gun flew from his hand, and we fell onto the ground. The soldier kicked and pushed against me as we tumbled near the edge of the cliff. None of them said a word as we scuffled, hitting and fighting tooth and nail, and Wayne was just about to pin me down when a gunshot went off. I looked toward Melissa as she held the weapon, and then towards Wayne as he fell over, screaming in pain. She had shot him straight in the foot. She dropped the weapon and shook her head in confusion. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I... I didn't know what else to do. She stuttered. The phone that was beckoning us to listen to its every word made another noise, and Celeste checked it. There's been an addendum, she muttered as she showed the rest of us. 12.2. All must find shelter. Heather scowled. Looks like he'll be coming with us after all. Celeste moved over to where Wayne was still cursing to the sky and motioned for me to help. As much as I didn't want to, given his sudden betrayal, I went ahead and moved to his side and lifted Wayne up. Melissa was still staring at the fire, probably thinking about how she wanted to leave this whole mess when Heather called out to her. Hey, little redheaded girl, let's go. As we moved further up the mountain, a gentle rain began to hit us. Wayne moaned and complained the whole way as we struggled to find a place to hide. Uh, there's gotta be a damn cave around here somewhere. Man up, I said to him, bitterly. Another ten minutes, and we did find something. And it wasn't a cave, though. Heather was the one to make the discovery as we reached another daunting rock face. I was half expecting we would be forced to climb the expanse, but instead, she was able to uncover what appeared to be a door to a bunker. Let's get inside she said as she pried the metallic door open. You're pretty strong for a one-armed chick. I complimented her as the aged, rusty door creaked open. Careful, she might start to think you're friends. Celeste quipped as we got inside. The bunker went down into the mountain, a long steel staircase that made resounding noise every step of the way. Finally, we found ourselves in what was likely some sort of locker room, and I placed Dwayne down next to the wall. Celeste went to catch her breath while Heather knelt down to the traitor amongst us. Tell me who you are, she asked softly. Wayne just went and spat on her face. Heather calmly wiped it away as the soldier whispered, Why are we pretending anymore? I think we're past that stage. You know what challenge we're at now, don't you? I felt my heart race a little faster. What is he talking about? I asked. Tell him, Heather. Tell him about this damn challenge. The one I'm wearing a damn football jersey for, Wayne remarked. I looked at both of them. Then Melissa speaks the question, and I can't seem to conjure up. Wait, you two know each other? She asked. No, uh, never met. N not before today. Wayne just reared his head back and laughed. <laughs> Man, if Lionel were here, the look on his face would be priceless. He said. Heather, what is going on? I muttered. Then the clock switched over to 1300 hours. Our mysterious contact chirped to life on the phone again. The 13th challenge, uh, it's always the same. I've played the 24-hour game three times now, and it's the one that I almost lost last time. She said as she stood up gravely, gesturing toward her lost arm, and then turned around and gave me her burner. Go ahead and read it. I can explain everything after we finish the task, she said softly. 
I felt my hands tremble as I took the phone and saw what the message... 13. Lose. But that doesn't make any sense, Celeste said. I thought the game was engineered to force people to keep going, I added. I thought so too. The six of us that were still alive last time, we debated for almost a goddamn 37 minutes what the hell that message meant. Heather stopped and looked toward Wayne. Four of us made it out the other side to see the next challenge. Not that I lasted much longer after what happened, she stuttered. Your arm. You thought the message was telling you to interpret it differently, to lose something vital, I said as I looked toward Wayne. Lionel cut her arm off. I realized. Didn't have to make choice, did he? He told me everything. Oh, you already figured out by that point that the game considered a team task to be won if all the members cooperated fully. So you drew straws, decided who would get the short straw would be the one to lose. Wayne replied with a sneer, and you drew the shortest straw. I said, looking back toward Heather. There's no way forward if we don't take something away, she explained and then glanced at the clock. We've only got about half an hour to decide. How are we going to play this out? She asked. I looked toward Melissa and Celeste for answers, but they were just as baffled as me. Why your whole arm? Why not just your pinky or toe? Melissa asked. It sounds like a dumb question. Wayne laughed again. (laughs) We tried that myself on my first run. Goddamn, I remember hearing Charlie scream. We tried it, no dice. The game wanted more. Pushed us to our motherfucking limits, Wayne said as he spat on the ground. I had a family. Just like you, Daniel. I didn't care what it took to make it to the other side. Bet you don't even remember me back then, do you? He added as he spit at her. Wait, it was you. You were the one that tried to stop me? Heather said as she looked at the man and muttered. Matthew, I I thought you were dead. Might as well be after what you did to Charlie. Got some damn plastic surgery done, though. (laughs) Fooled you all, huh? Thanks to what you did last time, I might add. He spat as he looked toward me. I tried to talk her out of it, Daniel, but, well, you've been with her for half a day already. You see how stubborn she is, Wayne said maniacally. So you made the call, and Charlie took the cost. Then you all paid the price when you failed later on. In more ways than one, Heather said. I swallowed hard and looked toward the others, trying to figure out how we could do this. What happens next? Maybe it'll give us an edge to expect, I said. The challenges that we made it through after this weren't the same the two times I went. I failed around 14 in 2016 because no one wanted to go on. And because of Charlie, and in 2017, I lost last. She stammered. We need to pass this round. All these damn questions can wait, she said in exasperation. I stared at the clock, then toward the rest of them. Melissa is the first to offer a suggestion. What if we did nothing? Heather shakes her head. That's not an option. Well, have you ever tried it? I argued. The game doesn't work that way, Heather said. It was her partner that spoke up. Or maybe it does, Celeste said. It's more than just physical challenges. We've all seen that by now. It's mind games too, just as much. Maybe we really are supposed to just lose this round. Heather shakes her head furiously, looking toward the clock. It's only 13 minutes were left. You're wrong. You're wrong. And if we lose... We lose everything, she screamed. Celeste moved toward her and grabbed her, shaking her for a minute. Look at me, she insisted. I don't say a word as I watched our leader burst into tears. We are going to get her back. Do you hear me? Celeste said in barely a whisper. What if you're wrong? 
What if this is killing her? Heather mumbled. It's not. It's not. You have to trust me. Her partner said. The clock ticked down. Ten minutes left. Nine. Heather grabbed the gun and was about to shoot herself in the only arm she had left when Matthew stopped her. Don't do it. It's not worth it. You know that, he said. The soft words are enough for her to calm her nerves for the rest of the hour. Then, finally, all the way down to one minute left, we stared at the phone, waiting for some announcement of our failure to complete the task. Then, as the clock moved to the next hour, all we heard was a familiar, congratulatory chirp. Heather could only burst into tears. Fourteen. Destroy Bunker. We had made it this far, but now, as we stood there in a dusty locker room and I watched a woman cry over the loss she had suffered almost two years ago, I wasn't sure that I wanted to go any further. Wayne, that is what he insisted on us calling him, was the one to break the tension, laughing again, almost maniacally, as he winced in pain from the wound that Melissa had given him. <laughs> oh... Wait, that's just the bee's knees. Fuck. Makes you wish we had told Charlie that two years ago, huh, Heather? She stopped crying, if only for a moment, to punch him square in the jaw. Enough, both of you, Celeste said as she pulled Heather away. What's really going on here between you two? Don't lie and say it's about money. What are you really trying to do? I asked. Wayne doesn't say a word as he spit out a bloody tooth. We always have a damn plan, Heather said, shaking her head sourly. And it always goes to hell, Wayne added. Then why are you even trying again? Don't give me any bullshit. I want the truth, I told him. Celeste looked toward the floor and sighed. We can't tell you. We're not allowed. What? By who? I asked. The game. I made that mistake two years ago. I was almost at the end of all this shit. Everything was going perfectly, but I disobeyed one of the earlier rules. I was told never to speak about why I play the game. Heather said. Fine, whatever. Keep it a big, dark, mysterious secret. But but at least explain how he's mixed up in all of this. I said. I was hired. Actually, my whole fucking team was. Me and Jack were the only ones who came back alive, Wayne said. This is when Melissa is the one that loses her cool. Y you knew my dad? You knew he was out there and you didn't fucking say a thing? She shrieks. Oh, calm down. I didn't know he was in this round, I swear. You mean he wasn't part of your little scheme to play, so you just kept your mouth shut and let him die? Melissa snapped back. I was just doing what I was paid to do, Miss Bradley. That didn't involve your dad. In fact, he went AWOL after our last run and said he was going to figure out a way to beat the game for good. Wayne said, Fuck. Whatever it is she paid you, it must have been good. I said, That was when money was all I cared about. But right now, what matters is we need to keep going. Are we done with 20 questions or what? Wayne asked with an exasperated sigh. I checked the time and realized that he's right. If we're going to finish the task in time, we have to start now. Okay, so the game wants us to destroy this bunker? Makes sense as much as anything else, I guess. Should we just look around for some lighter fluid or what? I asked. Well, let's see what I can find. Heather agreed, leading the way toward the next dank corridor. Celeste helped Wayne to his feet, and the five of us shuffled down the dark as Melissa hugged the wall. 
I could tell she was even more uncomfortable than ever before, and I started to feel that I was the only one who had never heard of this damn internet challenge. It actually made me wonder for a moment what Josh's motivation was, why he had convinced me to join in the first place. It bothered me so much that I had to speak up about it. Do any of you know Joshua Francis? I asked. The others looked at me, but no one gave me a nod of recognition. It only made me more concerned. We made our way in a wider portion of the bunker, where it appeared that there were several rows of older-style computers. It reminded me of something you might see in an old 90s spy movie. What is this place? Celeste asked. I don't know, but I think some of the systems are still operational, Heather said as she flicked the light switch on. A short moment later, she activated one of the terminals and a few other gears and parts around the facility started to grind to life. Some sort of research station, I guessed, as she started to use the mouse and search for something on the databases available. Bingo! Map! She pulled up a schematic and studied it for a long moment while Celeste began to tend to Wayne's wound. You guys probably should have hashed out your baggage before snags like this, the nurse quipped. If we're being fair, I didn't expect to have to be babysitting a housewife and a toddler, Wayne said, gesturing towards us. Hey, we saved your life! Melissa barked out. Oh, fine, whatever. I'll figure out a way to repay you later, the soldier said, rolling his eyes. I looked over at Celeste as she was wrapping up his foot and remarked, Do you still have that flash drive? The one that Jack gave you? She nodded and passed it to me as I looked towards the terminals. Well, I wonder if it would work here, I muttered. I found what we're looking for. It's two decks up. Come on, Stratton, Heather said as she led the way. I slipped the flash drive in my pocket and followed her upstairs. We found ourselves in some sort of chemical supply closet, and she passed me several of the bottles one by one. You can carry more than me, obviously, she said bluntly. I nod, and we began to pour some of the chemicals down the stairs and back to the control center. That ought to get the job done, because we still need a way out, Heather said as she lit a cigarette again and muttered, Everyone, hold on to your butts! She tossed it towards the inferno, and it burst out in a massive explosion in the stairwell as we watched in shock. Come on, come on, let's get out of here! Celeste urged as she was getting Wayne to his feet. Then suddenly, the other monitors on the screen activated. We found ourselves staring at a figure tied up and gagged to a chair in a room approximately three floors above us. I hold my breath as I look toward the flames. The figure is the man that led me here. Joshua Francis. Fuck, is all that any of us can say as the alarms in the bunker go off. Heather is pacing, trying to figure out what to do as I stare at the screen. A hundred questions racing through my mind. Only a few mattered, really. Why was Josh here? How did he end up here when at midnight I saw a tape of him forcing me to play this twisted saw shit? Then our next assignment flashed on all the monitors. Fifteen. Save contestant. Fuck! I said out loud again as I realized that the game was asking us to breach the fire, to run headfirst into the blaze and save my friend. Holy shit, Melissa said as she stared at the screen. The others seemed at a loss as to what to do, but I know there wasn't another option. I asked Celeste for her thick jacket, and Heather looks at me, almost as though to wish me good luck. Then I cover my face and push headfirst into the fire. The red flashing sirens of the bunker are disorienting at first, that much I remember clearly. And that it was dark. So fucking dark. 
Only those brief flashes of light from the alarms on the side of the bunker wall were enough to give me an idea of where I needed to go. Floor two. Thirty more steps. Floor three. Thirty more steps. I was in the room where Josh was bound and unconscious, the floor already starting to give way as I rushed to his side. I knelt down and started cutting away at the bombs, trying to rationalize why I was saving the man who somehow had a role to play in the capture of my family. I'll make sure to tell Josh that it was them that saved his sorry ass, not me. That's what I thought at the time as the inferno spread rapidly throughout the room. I broke them loose, and Josh slumped over straight against me as the flames hit my backside. I've made it this far. I can make it a little farther, I think to myself. I push his dead way up and look toward the door. The entrance I had come through is collapsing on itself as I scramble to find another exit. There ain't one. I know that I'm going to have to make one. I sat Josh down and rolled him on his side in case he started coughing up some shit and kicked at the weak tiling below our feet. A few seconds later, it fell open and I called out to my companions. Celeste and Melissa are standing there a minute later. I'm going to lower him down. I said as I lifted Josh up by the shoulders and then slowly pushed him through the hole. I could hardly keep myself from collapsing in exhaustion as I did, and the others were able to get him to safety as a blast of fire hit the left side of my face. I screamed and cussed and jumped down to the floor below. Heather took off her long shirt and tossed it over to me to cover my already blistering face as we all move toward the exit of the bunker as we make it outside. All of us collapse on the wet grass and a burst of fire shoots out of the metallic door. I know it sounds like an action movie, but we barely made it out with our lives. I laid there on the ground in pain as I held the red shirt that Heather had been wearing over her tank top against my left eye. Keep it on there, Celeste ordered me as she walked back and forth, checking my injury and then Wayne's. Finally, after what seemed like forever, Josh is awake. He coughs and staggers to breathe as he looks about the group, his eyes focusing on me. Danny? He asked in confusion. If I wasn't in so much pain, I think I would have throttled him. But instead, none of us say anything as Heather takes off her backpack and passes the last little bit of food we had left from this morning. We all know that we made it past this challenge, and I can see the sun is reaching the evening glow as the gentle rain we experienced before transforms into a light shower. It's almost like God is trying to give us a boost to finish the 24-hour game. I can feel the soothing raindrops hitting my burnt scalp and trickling down my face. I take Heather's shirt off my eye and let the water just hit me. I know it's probably supposed to hurt, but it doesn't. It's actually refreshing. Celeste walked over to me about ten minutes ago after I finished the log. Josh hasn't said much since he woke up. I guess he only feels comfortable talking to me. What are people saying online? Do we have lots of fans? She teased. I showed a few comments. It looks like a majority of them want us to win, to stop this game. I said. Sounds like a plan. She agreed as she took out her phone and added, I need to check your eye. At first, I resist the intrusion of privacy, but I know that she's only doing her job. I opened my left eye slowly, and she shone the light toward it. I felt the need to shut it, but she wouldn't have it. Your cornea is pretty banged up, Daniel. If we don't get you to a hospital for surgery, it's likely you'll lose all vision on that side. She said. I laughed and looked around the mountain range. Uh, something tells me that won't be happening very soon, I said. The phone trips again, as though to let me know that I'm right. All we can do is push forward. Celeste agrees, but I know we both are dreading whatever insane task will come next. Oh, 
Josh is the one that gets to read what the message says. He doesn't seem that all surprised when he does. 16. Kill contestant. And there's no between the lines this time. The game isn't playing tricks. One of us had to die. Well, fuck, Wayne said, as he seemed to think that he would be the obvious choice. There was plenty of reason for all of us to hate him. What are you even doing here? Heather asked my old friend. I'm not really surprised to know that they were contestants together. More surprised, though, that again, neither planned on the other being here. To save your sorry ass. He looked toward them with shifty eyes and then toward me. Josh said, It needs to be me. What? You, you can't do that. I just saved your ass. I screamed at him. You aren't going to talk me out of it, Danny. I've already lost anyway. Lost before I left that room, actually. My last task was to tie myself up and wait. Never got another message. I guess the game knew you would be on your way to save me, he said. Well, that doesn't mean you lost. Maybe us saving you meant that you made it to this round, I argued. Danny, you have no fucking idea, man. Fuck, man. It took you 16 hours just to get here. Don't you get it? He muttered. Get what? Melissa asked. He looked toward my new companion suspiciously. I want to talk to Daniel alone, Josh said. Heather sighed and nodded, clearly exhausted by this new monkey wrench that the game was throwing at us. Josh motioned for me to follow him away from our makeshift camp and toward the woods. Once we were out of earshot, he muttered, You've got a lot of questions, I'm sure. That doesn't even begin to describe what is happening and, and what has happened to me today, Josh. <sighs> but all that matters is where Marcy and Michael are at. Tell me that. I won't care about anything else, I said. He sighed and rubbed his forehead. They were still alive last I checked, and I'm pretty sure the game is leading you to them, Josh said. Leading me? What do you mean? I asked. It's just simple math, Danny. The game is stringing you along to take everything away from you. Why else do you think it forced me to recruit you, to kidnap your wife and your kid? Do you think that I wanted to do any of that shit? He said. Because you lost the last time you played, I said. Well, damn straight I did, and do you know why? He said, and then gestured toward the camp. You're fucking friends! I was with that team, Danny. Don't be fooled by their charm and smiles. They are cold-blooded. Did they tell you what happened to Charlie? He muttered. I don't understand. You were here two years ago? I asked. Well, obviously not here as in this spot. Last time the game started, we were up near Toronto. Last round I was in was near Lake Ontario. The instructions for the round were simple enough, and throw someone overboard. It was round fucking nine, and they were already prepared to kill someone just to get what they fucking wanted, Danny! He screamed angrily. I felt my palms get sweaty as we stood there. And what is it exactly that they wanted? I whispered. Hell if I know! They left me to drown! I was lucky the Coast Guard picked me up! He said, waving his hand dismissively. He turned back toward the cliff edge seeing Heather and Celeste's silhouette outlined as the sun started to streak out bursts of orange and red. So why did you play again? You said that the game forced you to? I asked. It did. It does that to anyone that loses. Makes them keep the game going. When I got home, I found that I had nothing in my bank account. I had to declare bankruptcy. I was homeless for three weeks. And then, like a guardian angel, this message online asks me to recruit someone for the game. It says that I can get back everything I ever lost, and ten times as much. Of course I didn't say no. Why would I? He said. I can't help but to punch him in the jaw. So you recruit me? Why? 
Why not one of your other damned idiot friends? I asked angrily. Look, I, I didn't know that it would make me hurt Michael or your wife. I didn't. But I, I know that you can stop this game, Daniel. I know you can, he said. Stop it? What do you mean? I asked. The game is pushing harder than ever to make you all fail a task. It's playing all kind of mind games with you. I am I right? Well, here's one more bombshell for you. That's because it's not designed for you to win, he said. Well, how do you know that? I asked. We found a way to beat the game. Jack, Lionel, and I, he whispered, gesturing toward the camp. That's why it's fighting back so damn hard. He sighed and looked toward the setting sun. They're not going to let that happen, though, he added as he glared at his former teammates. The game will see to that. They might surprise you, I argued. There isn't time for this, Danny, he said as he grabbed me and muttered. Marcy, your son... They're in a mansion nearby. You can get there, save them, get out of this before it takes everything from you, too. Then, he took the gun I'd been holding on to this entire time and pointed it towards his skull. Josh, what are you doing? I said. You need to listen to me. Listen to me. Repeat what I just said. Go to the mansion. Save your family. Trust no one, he ordered. The others are seeing the commotion that he's making. Josh, don't! Say it, Danny! He screamed. I swallowed hard as I heard Heather and Celeste running towards us. Trust no one, he nods as a tear trickles down his cheek. Godspeed, Danny. He muttered and then pulled the trigger. I covered my mouth as the bullet slammed through his skull, the blood splattering in a hundred different directions as his body crumpled onto the ground. I'm still standing there as Celeste steps past me, confirming what has happened. She looks at me to offer words of comfort, but I don't know if they are sincere. I don't know if anything is real anymore. Wayne and Celeste helped me move Josh's body toward a bonfire that Heather started. It seemed a fitting end to him, given the circumstances to keep us warm as a noble sacrifice. As we pushed his body into the flames, the sun dipped almost out of view. The twilight was taking hold of the mountains as we sat there, all of us in some way lost and confused by what had transpired. I can barely see out of my eye, and I'm doing my best to keep from getting an infection as the rain drizzles down over us. Then, as we settled down around the fire, Melissa's phone is the one to chirp, and all of us begrudgingly look to see what the latest task is. Seventeen. Rest. No arguments here, Wayne said as he laid down and rubbed his sore leg. I shook the cold, wet rain off my body and sat crisscrossed as Heather muttered. I I've never made it this far before. Is, is the game really rewarding us? I shrugged, too tired to even talk, but I still knew that I needed answers about what Josh had just told me. We need to conserve battery power. Celeste suggested, and dimmed the lighting on the cell phone while also switching it to silent mode. Is it going to last the rest of the day? Melissa asked worriedly. I don't know, Heather admitted. We were now all in uncharted territory. I sighed and looked at them. Time to confront the elephant in the room. I scooted over to where the one-armed lady and her partner were at and said, Before we go any further, there's a few things I need you two to answer for me. Celeste looked toward Heather and the two of them nodded without hesitation as I asked my first inquiry. Charlie, what happened to him? Challenge 13, 
Heather whispered softly. Last year, when I lost my arm, and we were all being held up near an abandoned school in South Ontario. It was so fucking hot. It was middle of fucking August when we played, she added. But two years ago, you cut off his finger, and the game didn't accept that. No new message, I said as I drew my own conclusion about what happened next. Charlie killed himself, didn't he? The rules said to lose. I, I, th I thought... We all thought that meant that we had to sacrifice something, Heather said, her voice shaking. I just sat there in silence and looked toward Josh's body. So after you lost, you were instructed to recruit others for the game. People like Lionel and that pilot, I assume. What about Josh? I thought you said you didn't know him. Not by that name, no. We've... We've been through this before, Daniel. We wanted to have a strategy about how the game would force us to play. Certain elements were common. We knew that it would be the same time zone when it started, so we all maintained clear communication with each other. When the game started, we all knew eventually it would bring a total of 12 contestants together in one way or another. We never knew what it might lead to, Heather said. And you two started together. You worked this all out from the very beginning, I guess. Neither of them said a word. We need to get some rest. We got to follow the rules, Celeste said as she laid down and closed her eyes. I looked toward Josh's corpse as the flames grew into the evening sky. That's what you two have been doing all along, isn't it? Following the rules. You came into this game on purpose, determined to see it through to the end, but the game expected that. It's been playing both of you this whole damn time, ever since it forced you both to participate. I said, firmly convinced that my theory was right. Heather and her partner don't say a word, and close their eyes as darkness falls over top of us. I know that I'm right. Josh was right. Er, Whoever he was. These two were up to something. Some way to stop the game. Or something far more sinister entirely. Wayne fidgeted as he slept, and I wondered briefly what he knows about all of this. I looked toward Melissa, too high-strung to even consider sleep. But I have to keep these logs going. I have to keep going. So I asked her to watch the phone, and we will take turns resting until the next challenge. I don't feel safe falling asleep near Heather or Celeste, so I laid down beside Wayne at an angle and offered the phone to Melissa. I know I probably shouldn't put this here. Daniel seems like a nice person. He, he told me just to watch the group as he sleeps, but all I can think about is my dad. I'm probably going to die soon if this game keeps going at this rate. In fact, I, I know I am. I've told the others that I'm not scared to die. I'm a fucking liar. I don't want to lose. I don't want to be gone. Daniel and the others are right. Dad wouldn't have wanted me just to roll over and give up. God, I'm tearing up just as I write this. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm sorry I made you play this game. I'm sorry I convinced you to let me help you finish it. But I think now I'm realizing what none of these people are willing to accept. This game can't be won. It's going to push us to the very edge, and then hold us there and force us to jump. I can feel it. I'm so fucking scared. I, I don't want to be. I, I need to do something to stop this, but I, I know I can't. All I can hope for is that maybe saving one of the people I'm here with, it, if, if push comes to shove, I'll do it. Dad, I'll sacrifice myself to save them. The way you sacrificed yourself to save me. I promise. The hour's almost up. I'm gonna have to wake them up soon and get some rest myself. I gotta follow the damn instructions. I'm going to wake Daniel up now. I hope he doesn't read this. Fuck it anyway.
Melissa passed the phone back to me about 10 minutes ago. She asked me not to look at what she added to my log, and I can't help but feel obliged to honor her request. I get the sickening feeling that in these few minutes where all of us caught some rest were the last threshold before something beyond our capabilities. I thought at first that this was some sick reward, but I'm certain it's not. The game forced us to rest, the way it forced us to retrieve that phone from the icy river. Once again, playing a mind game to make us all comply. Was it stringing us along to make us lose everything? A final checkmate? The only question for now, though, is whether or not the people who I'm playing with are also playing an endgame of their own. Like clockwork, our last remaining burner phone buzzed and Celeste checked it. It actually made me pause and realize how customary all of this has almost felt at times, but there's still an adrenaline rush each time. Is this what lulled people into playing the game all along? Some enticing offer of unknown adventure? I can't help but wonder if this strange game was ever meant to actually be fun and who even created it. I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. Ever since we left that bunker and Josh told me what he did. You can't stop this game, Danny. Those were his words, but I have no idea what they mean. I have a feeling, though, that some in the group I'm traveling with do. Those who played the long con this whole time. But I didn't have much time to think about that, as Heather grabbed her backpack and moved toward the western ridge where we were resting. There's a river down below, and before I get a chance to ask what she's doing, the disabled woman tosses her backpack down to the water below. Um, I said slowly as she flashed the burner phone in my face. I guess it doesn't surprise me that she is blindly following the game's instructions. 17. Jump. Whoa, we can't. That's at least a 200 feet drop. Wayne said as he struggled to push himself up on his good foot. He's right, it's too dangerous. We should climb down and jump from a lower level, I suggested. The rules didn't tell us to do that. It told us to jump. That means here, Heather said. She doesn't even bother to argue, and Celeste screamed out in shock as her partner went over the edge. Shit! Melissa yelled as we all watched the one-armed woman dive into the frigid river below. For a moment... None of us said a word as I scanned the river for any sign of her. There was no doubt that all kinds of rocks could have easily broken half the bones in her body. Finally, Heather resurfaced and her partner squealed in delight as she watched her swim downstream. Good enough for me, Celeste said as she shivered in the evening air. She passed me her pack and made the dive herself. Again, all of us watched and waited, nervous to see if she too would survive the descent. Uh, well, I guess that settles it, I muttered. Still uncomfortable with the whole thing. Oh, I can't, Wayne said, shaking his head and looking toward his foot. I won't make it, he added. I sighed and looked at his injury. I know he's probably right. With that sort of wound, a fall from this height would only compound whatever else we was dealing with at this point. We have to try, Melissa told him. Oh, fuck, he said, shaking his head and trying to think. He started to pace back and forth on the ridge, looking for a way out. Then he stopped and looked toward me. You got that flash drive, right, Daniel? The one Jack gave you? He asked. Yeah, I got it right here, I said, taking it out of my pocket. Give it to me, and the phone, Wayne replied. What? Why? I asked in surprise, and then realized it. You know what's on it. 
What matters is that we're about to jump into a fucking river, and I'm the only one that is wearing a waterproof vest under my clothes. If you want that drive to survive, I'll need to take it down, Wayne said. He shook his head and muttered, oh, This is what I get for signing up for this shit twice. I want to ask him so much about what he was saying, but I know that each moment we waste, he might reconsider his position. So I offered him the drive. Melissa and I watched as he braced himself, slipped the drive into his protective suit, and then leapt down the cliff wall. Come on. Come on, I said. Finally, we saw him wash up against the rocks, swaying against the muddy shore as though driftwood. He's unconscious, Melissa realized frantically. We've got to get down there. I shouted as I placed the burner in my pocket and then extended my hand to her. The teen redhead swallowed hard and took it. We jumped together over the edge of the precipice. Pain shot through my whole body when we hit the river, cold and pain. I held my breath and closed my eyes as I fell. Melissa screamed as we hit the water. We plunged below the surface, my body crashing against the water as I lost hold of her. I couldn't see or hear anything. I felt the river push me downstream as more rocks hit my bruised stomach and abs. Finally, I grabbed at the surface of the shoreline, gasping and coughing for dear life. As I opened my one good eye, Melissa was close by doing the same, both of us exhausted and wet as we tried to recover. Heather and Celeste were nowhere in sight. I know they've pushed on ahead, likely already receiving another message from the game in some shape or form. Wayne laid against the rocks unconscious but still clinging to life. I looked down at him and reached into his suit to procure the flash drive and the burner. Neither of them are damaged. That's the only small trade-off I can make in this hell we are experiencing. Wayne woke up as I finished up the log, checking all the reports that our viewers were making. He coughed up some more blood and he mumbled, Won't be long now. I'm gonna have to tap out. I shook my head, trying to keep my spirits up. Don't talk like that. You'll be fine, I said. He laughed and grabbed at my arm. <laughs> I can't feel my legs, Daniel. I wouldn't consider that a good sign, he said. Melissa's there trying not to cry. Neither of us have much to say as the men lie there dying. You need to take that drive. Find your family. Stop this game. I looked down at it trying to even comprehend what was so special about it. What is this? It's the way out, Daniel. Don't let it close to those bitches, though. If they... <laughs> if they find out what it is, they'll kill you. He closed his eyes as we stood there and refused to leave his side. And I touched his scars. What did they do to you? I whispered. Follow the instructions. <laughs> oh, the game said... Disable a contestant. They chose me. I tried. I, God damn it, I tried to stop this. He groaned. And then with neither fanfare nor pause, Wayne Salsby was gone. Melissa and I moved toward the deep forest, the long rainstorm that we've had to deal with for the afternoon passing away as we trekked through the trees. Our steps are the only ones we heard. I can't help but wonder if Celeste and Heather assumed that we died in the jump. The phone that Wayne passed to me is barely working. I actually smile for a moment and wonder if the reason it survived this long is because it's a Nokia. 
I pushed through the heavy grass in the trail, trying to search for the others. A long time passed and neither of us seemed to really know where to go next. Do you think that we failed the challenge somehow? Is that why it's gone dark? Melissa asked as she gestured toward the burner cell. Again, I didn't have the answers. I just stumbled through the dark trying to find something to still hope for. Then, amid the shadows, I saw a looming silhouette and ran towards it. The flashlight on the phone fizzled out as we moved into a wide open area and I looked up toward the shape as it took form. It was a building. It was a mansion. As I stood there trying to take in what it all meant, the cell phone vibrated. 19. Explore. Melissa is at my side a moment later, and we don't waste a moment entering the gloomy estate. The door creaked open and I peered into the dark, unlit manor, looking down at the tile floor and barely seeing the footprints of Heather and Celeste on the dusty, grimy surface. What is this place? The redhead asked softly. I don't know. Stay close, I told her as I looked around the interior. None of the rooms on the first floor appeared to be touched by anything except cobwebs and more dust, as though no one had been in there in quite a while. We moved from room to room, examining each artifact and item that I felt offered a clue. None of it was registering in my tired brain, though. This door's locked, Melissa said as she rattled it. Uh, looks like it might be the dining chamber or something, I said as I tried to shove it open, but the thing wouldn't budge. And too bad we still don't have those bolt cutters, she quipped. There's someone in there. I can hear voices, I said as I moved toward the furniture and tried to ram the door open with it. Again, it just refused to open, and I strained my sore muscles before muttering, Something must be barricading the door. We need to see if there's another way in. Uh, maybe on the second floor, Melissa suggested. We moved back to the vestibule, a loud grandfather clock making a thudding sound as we reached the half-hour mark. This place gives me the fucking creeps, she muttered. I don't bother with any more small talk. I can feel my adrenaline kicking in again as I move up the grand staircase to the second floor. I'm close to the truth. I can feel it. We move in the direction of the dining hall, and I stop short of pushing open another door as Celeste walks out straight in front of us. Oh, you made it, she said with a wave of relief. I don't bother acknowledging her and push into the next room. It's some kind of observational deck. There was a large glass pane window that overlooked the dining hall, and I see Heather staring down at the room and softly crying. I walked over slowly and peered down myself, a mix of emotions rushing my body. There below us, I saw four figures strapped in chairs that faced the table. Two of them I didn't recognize at all, an older gentleman and a young girl barely five years old. The others are my wife and son, and there's a row of explosives tied all around them on the dining table as they sit there unconscious. I slammed my fist on the glass. Motherfucker! I said as I reached over to Celeste's backpack and grabbed a weapon. Don't! It's reinforced bulletproof glass, Heather told me. We've got to get down there. I urged them, about to move toward the door. Celeste blocked my path. Move out of the way or so help me, I will bust a cap in your ass. I told her. Daniel, it won't work. There isn't any way in, she responded. I moved back toward the window and looked toward the two doorways that led into the dining hall. Both of them are also lined with heavy crates of toxic chemicals, likely from the very same dump we were first led to. Fuck. Melissa said softly as she looked down at the scene. We have to do fucking something. I urged them. I looked at Heather, and even she looked defeated. It's too late. We've lost. We came all this way for, for nothing, she said, shaking her head sadly. God damn it, don't, don't talk like that. There's always a way to win. I said. We have to give the game what it wants, Daniel. 
pure and simple. We do that or the people in that room die, Heather said as she motioned towards the television screen. What it wants? What, what does it want? That drive that Jack had inside his stomach? I assume you don't have it anymore, or that jump damaged it beyond repair, Celeste asked. I stood there, my heart racing as I reached into my pocket and took it out. Wayne gave it to me. He held on to it during the jump. I said, Thank God. In the insanity, I didn't even think how it would survive. Our leader said, Give it to me now, Heather added as she pushed toward me. Before I can think, I raise my weapon and fire a warning shot at the floor. Daniel, what are you doing? Celeste asked. I looked at the drive, finally realizing what must be on it, but still, I need to know as I feel the phone vibrate. Before I answer it, I point the weapon at the two women that have brought me this far. It's time for some answers, I said firmly. Daniel, this isn't the time for this, Celeste said. Heather was clenching her fist, trying to decide whether or not to attack me. I think it's the perfect time, I said as I checked the burner to see what the new hour was telling us to do. Step 20. Trade. But you both knew that all along, didn't you? I asked as I waved the gun toward the glass. That girl down there. She's your daughter? I guessed. The two women didn't have to say anything. The fear in their eyes was enough to tell me that it was the right answer. And the man. Who is he? I wondered aloud. His name is Simon Lazalier. We built the 24-hour game five years ago, Heather explained. Built it? I repeated. It's, it's all there on the tape. A self-recorded message from Lazalier, explaining everything. And when this is over, we can answer any lingering questions that you have. But right now, the only thing that matters is you need to give us that drive, Celeste said. I assume that you came here to trade this for your daughter's life, I asked. Yes, goddammit, now give it to me! Heather screamed as she tried to rush me again. I kept the gun level and tried to comprehend what I was finally understanding. Melissa was the one that made it all fall into place. It's the kill switch, right? That's how you stop the game, the teen asked. Heather again falls silent, but I know it's the truth. Your dad worked on it, I guessed. He joined the group in 2016, just like I said. Responded to an online forum from a group asking anyone with skills to help create some sort of algorithm that would shut down the game. That's why he wanted to play. He wanted to stop all of this, she said softly. Let me guess. Lionel, Wayne, and Josh too. They all had the same end goal. And the fucking game knew it. How is that even possible? I asked. Does it matter? We have it, and we're here now. We can save our families and walk away for good, Heather insisted. I want answers, damn it, I said, my hands sweaty and shaking. The two women just fell silent. Play the tape, I ordered Celeste. Daniel, what good is that going to do? She whispered. Play the goddamn tape, I shouted, firing another warning shot at the bulletproof glass. She flinched and moved over to the screen, winding the grainy video. Turn up the volume, I told her as I watched Simon Lazalia come on screen. Hello there, I'm Simon Lazalia. CEO and founder of Omniveritas Electronics. I'm here to talk to you about a brand new internet game that is going to be taking the world by storm come next spring. His voice is chipper, the music is upbeat. I see the familiar symbol, the one from Josh's package and on the bunker. It actually makes me feel like I want to vomit as he keeps talking. The 24 hour game is unlike any other game of its kind. 
designed to pit 12 people against one another in a globe-trotting, flag-stealing, and one-upping manner. This game will change the rules as you play it. The music shifts to some sort of jingle, and I watch as Azalea shows off what appears to be the bunker we were in earlier. Here, at our state-of-the-art monitoring center, our employees are hard at work fixing all of the bugs of the game's one-of-a-kind artificial intelligence. That's right, we designed the game to be self-aware and be able to modify its challenge based on the participants in the game. All with the intention of making this the most difficult sort of challenges for our contestants. The video skips forward in time and the music has stopped playing. Another scientist is now looking dead in the camera. If you're watching this, you already know the game has evolved. It's, it's just a program after all, so I guess I should have checked the parameters more than a few times before activating the server. He said with a soft chuckle. I recognized his face only barely. Lionel. But now it's it's not stopping. It's making the challenges life-threatening to good, decent people. It's not going to stop because no one can win the damn thing, Lionel explained. This is our fault. My team and I, I started on a subroutine to try to shut the whole thing down. But somehow, the game got wind of that too. I think it's managed to access every single server on the planet. I think Eagle Eye only ten fucking times worse. He stammered. I've sent the data I can to my team members, and just as I did, this place had been breached. The game is going to do everything in its power to stop that drive from being uploaded, because I don't think it wants to stop. Probably sounds dumb to say about a machine, but I think it recognizes that once the game is over, it will shut down. So it's going to take me. It's going to force my team to fight against one another, all to get what it fucking wants. He shook his head sadly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. The feed cut to black, and I look toward the two women in a stunned silence. A cold chill rolls down my spine. You knew that the game would do this all along. You didn't know how, but you knew that if you kept playing along, that eventually it would lead you to your family and offer you a choice, I said. Melissa finally understood as well. That drive, you're going to destroy it for your daughter's life, she said solemnly. Celeste doesn't have the strength to deny it. Heather just nods. Yes. I look down at the drive, and then towards my wife and son. I know exactly why Heather has done everything that she has done up to this point. As I gave her the drive and finished this log, I know that given the circumstances, I would have done the same. Heather is staring at the drive for a long moment. The trade-off has been made, and the clock moves forward another hour. Our next set of instructions fall into place. 21. Burn. Um, no surprise there, I said as I sat down and looked toward where my wife and son were being held hostage. We have to do it, Daniel. We have to do it if we want to get them out of here alive, Celeste said. I'm in no mood to argue anymore. I don't have the strength. Just do whatever you have to do to get my family out, I said. Heather is about to make the move to offer up the proverbial MacGuffin to this unseen force that is pulling at all our strings. Wait, Melissa said. Don't even start. You don't have a say in this, the disabled woman said. Just hold on for a goddamn second. What's going to happen if we do this? If we give the game what it wants, she asked. Celeste pursed her lips together. Obviously, the kill switch will be disabled. The game will keep going on into infinity, she commanded. Exactly. That means that it will exploit more people, just like you, your daughter, my father, and... Uh, 
It won't be able to stop, she said. I don't fucking care, Heather said. It's just another trick, though. Don't you see that? What time is it anyway? Almost nine. That means there's three more challenges they can throw at us after we give it what it fucking wants, she said. You're wasting my breath, Heather said as she prepared the computer. I shake my head and move toward her again, pointing my weapon at her. Melissa's right. The game won't let us leave her alive after we do this. It's a trap, I said. I can see she is visibly shaking. We have to! We have to play by the rules! You're right. We do. But think about how it's played mind games on us all fucking day. Melissa stammered as she moved to Heather's other side. Maybe it's time we turn the tables, she asked. What do you mean? Celeste muttered. The instructions said to burn. It didn't say what to burn, though. So let's burn this mansion to the fucking ground, she suggested. Heather shook her head in disgust and pushed me away. You really think that'll work? My daughter's still in there, she said, spitting in Melissa's face. I know you're angry. I would be too, but I think there might be another way into that room, Melissa said softly. What? I asked. And what are you talking about? Celeste asked. So Melissa gestured toward the top, near the ceiling, and I spot what appears to be an air vent. Your wife and Mr. Lazalier probably had to tie themselves up after rigging those explosives, right? That must mean that they know how to shut them off. I can crawl through the air vent and get in there and get them out, Melissa said. I feel my heart skip a beat. Well, it... it might work, Celeste suggested. No, not you too, Celeste! Don't fucking do this! Not now! Heather groaned. Melissa took her hand where she was squeezing the drive as hard as she could. You have to let me do this. Please. The young redhead begged. The one-armed woman was visibly shaking as we all looked at her to make the call. Then, she collapsed onto the floor as she passed the drive to her partner. Melissa didn't waste any time moving toward the vent in the observation deck. I reached into the backpack and gave her a screwdriver. Give me a boost, she asked. I smile and crack my knuckles. Eh, just like old times, huh? I said as I knelt down and she climbed onto my shoulders. She groaned and pushed herself up toward the vent, managing to unscrew it and hoist herself up. She made a few more clattering noises as she squeezed in. Are you alright? Celeste asked. Eh, snug as a bug, Melissa quipped and added. Don't wait for me to start that fire, by the way. I looked up at her and muttered, Well, you better come back alive. Pinky swear, she said with a wink and then crawled away. I moved over to Heather to get her on her feet. She was still shaking and trembling as she came to terms with what was happening. This is a mistake. We're gonna lose, she said. Not this time, I said as I picked up the backpack as well. The three of us watched out the observation window toward the vent that Melissa had spotted earlier. She had only twenty minutes before it would be forced to start the inferno. I gritted my teeth and counted to myself in silence. A sort of static-filled burst of noise fell out of the intercom system as whatever security measures the game had set up had been activated. Intruder alert. Intruder alert. The computer voice screamed, and then another timer came up on the computer screen. A countdown. Shit! Celeste said. Give me the drive! We can't wait any longer! Heather said as I kept it near my chest, not budging a muscle, and then pointed the gun toward one of the computers and shot a few rounds into the console. I'm done taking orders from a machine! I said as a fire started to spread in the observation deck. In the dining room, I watched as Melissa pushed herself out and fell onto the floor below. It took a second for her to recover, and then another announcement blared over the intercoms as the fire spread across the control center. Step 22. Survive. 
I motioned for the two of them to follow me out to the deck. Heather said a few cuss words and then ran out the door beside me. Somewhere below us, I hear one of the explosions go off and I scream out of frustration. I envision my little boy being engulfed in the blast the way that poor man on the beach was. But I keep going. I push down toward the barricaded doors that led to the dining hall, desperate to find a way to break it open. Celeste and Heather are right alongside me, trying to bust the door open with anything we have left. Another explosion went off, and I slammed on the door, trying to get the attention of Melissa. Melissa, we're here! Can you hear us? Are the others alright? Celeste called out. I could hear coughing on the other side, and then a soft knock from within. I can hear you. Mr. Lazalia and your wife are conscious. Michael was hit by the blast, but he will live. The redhead said. Can you see a way out of there? We're trying on our end. Heather said. I... I think so. It's risky, but how... What is it? Melissa shouts back. I want to ask her what she planned, but her footsteps trail off. Then the roof of the room we were in collapsed, and Celeste and Heather barely avoided the burst of flames that were spreading. Step I can hear the artificial voice issuing more and more threats to us across the mansion's intercoms. Shut the fuck up! Heather shouted to it as we pushed away from the barricade. What happened next was a blur. Another explosion ripped through the mansion as the artificial intelligence set off another bomb. The door blast opened and I fell back with the wind being knocked out of me. It was so fucking dark. I heard screams from those around me and I realized the flames were growing louder and louder. The game wasn't going to let us finish this round, even if we wanted to. I felt hands grab at me, incoherent shouting. I could hardly feel my body as I was dragged out of the rubble. The mansion kept falling apart on itself as the group ran toward the front yard. I collapsed onto the damp lawn, my vision blurring as I looked around. I saw my wife. My son wasn't moving. I pushed myself up and ran to them. Marcy was sobbing hysterically as she tried to get him to breathe. I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening, Daniel, she said desperately. I looked at his pale face and checked his pulse. He was barely alive. Heather and Celeste are nearby as well, clinging at each other and their daughter. Mr. Lazalier is there as well, unconscious and badly burnt, but definitely surviving the challenge. Then I realized who was missing, and I looked back toward the inferno. Melissa. I'm about to limp toward the scene when Heather grabbed my shoulder and stopped me. You go in there, you'll die, she said. I struggled to stand and pushed her away. So, what, you think that she deserves to- I muttered. I'm saying, there's nothing you can do. Heather urged me. I shook my head and looked toward my family. We can't leave her in there. We can't, I said. She doesn't seem to listen to me anymore, but then Celeste offers the only voice of reason that probably makes sense to her. The rules said to survive. We have to all do that to win, her partner said. Heather looked toward the blaze and then toward me, trying to find a reason for me not to run in head first. But then Celeste made the decision for her and bound toward the mansion door. Celeste! God damn it! Heather screamed as she tried to follow after her and fell onto the ground. You can barely walk right now! I told her as I hoisted her back to her feet. She doesn't argue with me. The two of us just watch in stunned silence as the manor continued to topple down on itself. I bit my nails, watching as the explosions grew higher and higher, each passing second, another that meant they might not make it out alive. The entrance itself fell apart with another explosion and Heather kept cussing. There they are! Heather said as she looked toward the upper window, 
I saw Celeste and Melissa move toward one of the shattered windows, then they leapt out toward the ground below. I don't have the strength to even write this log. We've succeeded in this challenge, but I know we've lost in the long run. The game is still holding us all hostage, and trying to kill us all in hopes of ending the chance of us shutting it down. And now, it's managed to take two more lives in the process. Melissa died first. Hers was quick, without much pain. She smiled almost in a relieved way as she felt her body going numb, but I can see the tear gripping her body. The jump likely severed her spine like what had happened to Wayne near the river. She only lasts a few minutes, but it's long enough for her to ask me if she thinks her dad would be proud of her. I don't have the energy to say anything, but she, she doesn't have to be told. She knows the answer to that. Heather cradled her partner for a long 15 minutes as Celeste struggled to breathe. It's not the fall that will kill her, and she's actually not quite dead yet, but it won't be long. She isn't breathing right, and all the smoke that has filled her lungs is going to suffocate her in the end. But when Heather asks if she's alright, all she does is smile weakly. I know she doesn't want me to say anything, but all of us have lost in the end. I know this because of the next challenge that buzzes on that damned phone. My wife is holding my son and asking me what it says. 22. Destroy the drive. Celeste, take Lori and go to one of our rendezvous. I'll meet you there, Heather said as we face each other in a standoff. Her partner coughs and nods, scooping up their adoptive daughter and moving toward the tree line. Daniel, what is going on? Marcy asked me. Before I can make a response, I hear Mr. Lazalia wake up. I shake him to consciousness. Uh, what? What happened? He looked up toward Heather. Mrs. Bradley, uh, you made it, he said. No thanks to you, she said, spitting on the ground. Look, we can hash this out later. Right now we need ideas. <clears throat> Mr. Lazali or, or Simon, we have the drive still. Is there a way that we can upload it to the game's artificial intelligence? I asked him. He takes a moment to get his bearings and looks towards the mansion. You, you have the drive? He asked and then motioned for me to give it to him. I was about to comply when Heather shoved me away. We're not doing anything until you answer the question. Can you shut down the game or not? She asked. He looked about and then nodded as he reached into his pocket and took out a cell phone. There's a bunker nearby. It has all the systems necessary to upload that virus into the Omniveritas system, he said. I looked at Heather, a sinking feeling overwhelming me. We destroyed that bunker six hours ago, I said in exhaustion. Mr. Lazalier began to dial a number, but then Heather pushed forward and muttered, Hold on a second! How can we even trust you? Who are you calling? My team. Or whoever else besides you is still alive. They were forced to play the rounds as well, but I made arrangements that if any of them made it this far, that I would contact them. Get out of the way, Lazalier said as he made the call. This doesn't feel right, Heather said as she turned to me. There isn't anyone else alive. Josh and the others are gone, sir. I said. As though to prove me wrong, a single black helicopter came into view on the south horizon. I looked up into the dark sky as it moved closer. I tried to figure out how that was even possible, 
Then I heard the soft sound of a gun clink, and I saw Lazalier pointing a weapon at us. They'll take your family to safety, then we can move to another safe site, Simon said. The helicopter landed, and several armed men wearing uniforms rushed out. I hugged my family, and tried to think that this had to be the right thing to do. Simon, what are you doing? She asked. The same thing I did when I hired those fools to make this, he said as he looked at the drive. The game has always been ten steps ahead of all of us, because I designed it that way. Hired desperate men to do desperate things, all to achieve this, he laughed. The game has to win. It always wins, he bellowed. Now give me that drive, he added coldly as he aimed the weapon straight at her heart. Do it, I tell her. Heather tosses the drive to the madman and he laughed. I'll see you soon, I told my family. Michael sobbed, not wanting to be taken away again, but I didn't have a choice. They moved Marcy and Michael out of the scene as Heather stared blankly at the man that had orchestrated all of this. And we watched, helpless, as our last shot of ending this flew away. I can't believe that I ever wanted to stop this game. Sure, we hit a few snags along the way, but my god, this has turned out to be better than I expected, he said as he watched it leave the horizon. You're insane, I told him. No, no, Mr. Stratton, I'm a businessman. Something this big is worth a lot of money, more than any superficial prize my company could have offered to the contestants, he said as he began to talk wildly. Think of all the different ways that this could be exploited. Companies would pay through the nose for this type of artificial intelligence. The applications are, are limitless. We could monitor the stock market, create state-of-the-art security systems, military weapons. He started moving around the front lawn, gesturing madly as he went on. I realized all of this when I saw how far this game was willing to go to win. It manipulated all of us, just to ensure its own survival. Now that I understand. Now that I have manipulated you and your team to create the kill switch, I can use it as an ultimate bargaining chip. It will listen to me now. He looked into my eyes as though possessed. I can control God. The two of us stood there listening to his insane rant. It was beyond words to comprehend. You're not insane. You're an idiot. Heather shouted angrily. You can't fucking control it. Don't you fucking get that by now? The game is doing exactly the same thing that it did all along. It's played you for a fool, she muttered. No, Mrs. Bradley, you were the fool. You, Jack, Lionel, Wayne, all the others that tried to stop it from evolving. Mazalier argued. Nothing can stop that from happening. I looked up in shock as the sky suddenly seemed darker. I rushed toward him, and Mazalier shot me straight in the chest as I tackled him. I started punching over and over again until he was unconscious, ignoring the pain I was in. Daniel! Heather said behind me as I kept punching him over and over. She pulled me away from his bruised body and she muttered, It's too late. It's over. The game won. No, goddammit! I screamed as I looked down at the damaged phone. She moved over toward him, checking Lazalier for a pulse as she took the weapon from his hand. The man woke up a few moments later. He was actually laughing. Then Heather let out the whole chamber straight to his skull. The air grows silent as we stand there alone together. Then... I look down towards the cell and see the final message pop up on the screen. Smoke is rising off the back of Azalea's mansion still as the moon casts its glow over the two of us. Heather reached slowly down and picked up the phone. Heather, look at me. 
Whatever that says, you don't have to listen to it anymore. I clutched my chest where the bullet ripped through my body. She looked toward me, holding her breath as she stared at the phone. Nothing happens for a long moment. I read the message. 24. One winner. Before I can move, the one-armed woman points her weapon that she took from Lazalia's corpse straight toward me. I told you it wouldn't work! Just like all those damn logs you've been wasting your day on! Nobody fucking cared! The game won't stop! It never fucking stops! She screamed. Heather, for the love of God, listen to me! Listen to me one last time! I said as I raised my hands up defensively and gestured toward the fire. Lazalia is gone! Hell, everyone except for you and me! And, and, and... I said as I fight back a few tears. Our families, your own daughter, they're safe. We can all go home. Not until the game ends. And that only happens once you're out of the way. And then what? You just walk away from all of this? You know it won't be that easy. The kill switch is gone. The game isn't going to stop now. Not ever. That means other people will find those online forums just like I did. They'll be lured into something that is way over their heads. You won't be able to stop yourself from playing again just to try to save them. I don't care about them! Is that why you risked everything to save Wayne when he had an allergy attack? You didn't stop Celeste when she cut those men down from the tree? You can try to hide it, but I know you have a heart underneath all of that. I insisted. I can see her hands are shaking. She's hesitating as my own words sink in. It's just another mind game. It's doing the same thing it's always done. It's never gonna fucking end. But I'm gonna end it. Right here. Right now. She said. She cocked the gun and muttered, I'm sorry. I'll take good care of your family. I closed my eyes, my tired brain trying to think of something else to say. Something for her to see that we can win, even if she doesn't realize it. Challenge 13! I shouted desperately. Heather paused for a moment. What did you say? She asked. I opened my one good eye and looked at her. Remember, challenge 13! I said softly. Slowly, she lowers her weapon. She's thinking over what I'm trying to say. You mean, do nothing, she said softly. It's the only way. The way we both win, I said. How does that make any damn sense? Heather whispered. Think about it. The day's almost over. Our families are home. The game has nothing left to pit us against each other. Except each other, I said. She's thinking it over. But if we do nothing, then... We win together, or one winner, one team, I... She said. I nodded eagerly. Heather looked at the mansion and considered my words for a good long moment. We win. Game over. She said with a laugh. Then she tossed the weapon away. Fuck it all. I let out a sigh and relief washed over me as she stared at me in the dark light of the moon. So that's it then. I said, letting my heart slow down. No. No, not, not by a long shot. The kill switch is gone, but only temporarily. We can build another one and stop the game from hurting anyone else, she said. I nod solemnly, wondering if she's right. It might be the other way around. What if the game is over now? When the countdown ends, what if it all shuts down? What will you do then? I asked. Well, you're quite the interesting contestant, Daniel Stratton, she said as she turned her attention back to me. 
She may not want to accept the fact that the 24-hour game has controlled her much longer than a single day. I'm glad the game led me to you, she added, and then extended her hand and muttered. Until next time. I shook on it and muttered, hopefully there is no next time. She gave me a soft smile and we looked down toward the burner phone. I reached and took it away from her before she was tempted to check it again. And then for me, the game doesn't matter anymore as I look up toward a group of rescue helicopters approaching us. Azalea's people returning? It looks like that's your ride, she said. Wait a minute, what about you? You don't, make, you don't think you can make it all the way back to civilization alone, do you? I asked. Celeste rented an Airbnb not far from here. That's where I told her I'd go. That's where I told her to go. It's probably only a mile back down in those hills, she said, pointing towards the south. You're hurry. You need medical attention, I told her. I have my daughter back, is the only response she gave. Then, she walked into the woods as the helicopter began its descent. A few officers moved toward me, surveying the disaster around the secluded mountain mansion, draining their weapons toward the tree line where Heather had vanished to. Daddy! Michael said excitedly as he rushed into my arms. I winced in pain as he hugged me tight, and the officers told me to get on board the helicopter. I climbed on, saw my wife sitting there as well, still a little bruised from the ordeal. I leaned over and kissed her gently. You look amazing, I told her. Oh, you don't look half bad yourself, she said back. Then the helicopter began to push itself into the sky again. What happened? Where's Lazalier's people? I asked. Intercepted about three miles out, they're all in custody, Marcy explained. I can't help but wonder how that's possible, but again, my sore body is barely functioning at this point. Michael clung to me as we pushed away from the mansion and into the cloud. I was still staring down at the spot where Heather has disappeared into the woods. I wonder if I'm wrong about what will happen to Celeste. Will she live? I imagine that I am, and that Heather and her family have made it to safety alive. Who was that, Daddy? Michael asked. Hmm? That woman... Was she your friend? He mumbled. I smiled. Yeah, buddy. She's a friend. A good friend that I played a game with. Can I play too? Michael asked. I felt something vibrant in my pocket. Trust me, bud. This isn't a game you would want to play. I told him. As I took out the last remaining burner, a final message appeared on the screen. Congratulations. You are the winner. What is it, Daniel? Marcy asked me. I thought of what Heather said. That the game wasn't truly over. That the game saved us in the end? Stopping Lazalier's people? The image faded to black as I stared at the blank screen. Was it over? Then I looked at my family, at my son's smiling face. I knew the answer. I tossed the burner phone out of the helicopter and said, Doesn't matter anymore. Let's go home. It's been a long day. <laughs>